Hey. What? I got an idea for the intro for the podcast. Okay. Check it out. back to the Ion Stone podcast. I'm Anderson Miller. I'm Dimitri. And on this episode of 007 Tuesdays, we are covering Tomorrow Never Dies. But before we get into it, a word from our sponsor. Do you want to start a podcast? Well, now you can for free. And it's as easy as downloading the new Spotify podcast app to your phone and or computer and hitting record. Spotify podcasts allows you to record anytime or upload files and provides all the tools you'll need to make your episode sound as solid as stone. Spotify Podcasts is the new home for any podcasters looking to expand their brand and reach new audiences across the globe. Oh man, crisp cold seltzer Dima. That's awful. No caffeine. Mm. No junk. Mm. Well, it's got some acid in it, but you know, that's only bad for your teeth. Exactly. No big deal minor detail anyways all right um so yeah on this week's episode we watched tomorrow never dies which is the second installment in the pierce brosman run of james bond and uh i don't know it's a good movie it is it's a good movie i think i liked it better than uh goldeneye to be honest with you i did too but before we keep going what the hell happened oh yeah well dima glad you asked Agent James Bond 007 is on a mission which includes a media tycoon, his former lover, and a Chinese agent. Elliot Carver wants to complete his global media empire, but in order for this to work, he must achieve broadcasting rights in China. Carver wants to start up World War III by starting a confrontation over British and Chinese waters. Bond gains the help of Wylin and... On his, rec- on his quest to stop him, oh wait, sorry about that, blah, blah, blah. Bond gains the help of Waylon on his request to stop him, but how will Bond feel when he meets up with his former lover, Paris, who is now Carver's wife? Dun, dun, dun! Spoiler alert! I repeat, we are spoiling the movie! Okay. So, I guess we'll start with the ratings. I've gone up 0.3 since last week. I am at 3.5 out of 5 stones. I am too. Oh, nice. Oh. Okay. I I, uh, I was thinking about that earlier today. I was about what my rating was going to be, and I was like, you know what? 3.5 it is. So, it's a good movie. Yeah, I was going to say, I actually enjoyed this a lot more. Um, when, oh, I should get my notebook out. 
my handy dandy notebook. Oh, what does that remind me? We of? need to be like Blues Fucking Clues, Blues Clues, and have like music for things. Like Jordan stands up, I'm gonna take a wet piss, and we got like some music playing, or I don't know why he says that. Anyways, all right. Um, but yeah, I mean, look at this. All right now, let me show you this compared to Goldeneye. Right, we got a drastic. I mean, I'm writing a freaking novel over yeah. here, and I have a lot more check marks. Where last week. I had predominantly just X's. A lot of negatives. Now, don't get me wrong. I have a lot of things about this movie that I was like, what the hell are they doing? But I'm starting to learn. I think that was part of the Pierce Brosnan era's charm. So I'm appreciating these things for the most part. Some of them are, I'm just like, no, nah, they, they shouldn't have done that or someone wasn't paying attention. But uh, anyways, so before we get into the negatives... Um, we'll start with the positives and I'm going to try to be a little bit more organized about this. I'm going to try. So I'll try to go through the movie and what's happening and talk about positives and then go back and talk about negatives or do, should we talk about positives and negatives as we go? I'd say as we go. I mean, so just mix them up, mix it up like a bag of chips. Yeah. We'll end up figuring out bag how of it's going to go after. Say we start because nothing usually goes as planned that's atrocious um but i probably still would have ate that oh sorry sir no i'm filth like you're doing <laughs> the right thing you shouldn't i'm always that guy that just i'm like well it was in a sealed bag it's probably okay literally Even the ends like, are off of it i probably had a rat just fucking the shit out of it on the conveyor belt <laughs> anyways i mean i can go dig it out for you if you like I was going to do that after we're done. Um, no, I'm kidding. Yikes. <laughs> I'm down Boy. bad, Dima. <laughs> I see that. Um, all right, now, the start of the movie, I hate to say, is an X. Negative. What right was the off. start? Oh, Russia. Or well, the missiles and all that. I have something positive to say about it, but yes. I, I literally wrote Russians again, question mark. X. It just felt like, okay, Goldeneye continues. Um, but... Here's the cool thing about the beginning, mm -hmm. the way it plays out. You know, we see – here's one thing I do like about the beginning, like, a lot. I should have put a check mark for this. We see M and we see, uh, you know, the MI6 headquarters and Bond all working together, yeah. right, which is kind of rare for Bond. Bond is usually out there just a, a leaf in the wind that they're trying to figure out where he is and what he's doing. So it's kind of cool – to see them all working as an, like, it kind of shows that when they just work as a team and Bond's not trying to, like, be all, I work alone or whatever. Very efficient. Things get, yeah, things get done efficiently and they can move on to the next mission. Like, so that was cool seeing them work together. And um, it also reminded me of, like, a video game mission in a Bond game. Or even on like a Call of Duty mission or something, you know, like yeah, it, did. It, it really had that like video game feel to it. So that was cool. Um, but I was just kind of bored with the whole like, oh, yeah, here's, you know, Russians. And I was like, all right. But it was it was a cool intro to the movie, I guess. So besides it being the familiar villain, villain, uh, I liked it. I enjoyed it. It had its cheesiness and whatever, like Bond's wearing this very vibrant brown leather jacket, which stands out amongst all the other ones. So it's like, how did none of them notice he was wearing something different or I, I don't know. It's like, 
whatever. But uh, that's getting very it's nitpicky. Just that Hollywood filter. Yeah. Helps people ignore it to give them plot of the story to keep going. But if I compare it to Goldeneye, which is what I'm gonna do, yes. um, I think that's justified. The beginning to Goldeneye was so awesome, and it literally set a world record. Yeah. So, in terms of that, it didn't really have anything special that happened. Yeah. So, I would say the beginning of Goldeneye is better, in my opinion. Yes. Yes. It's close. I mean, it's close. Because I do enjoy this opening sequence, and there is an aspect of it that's better. I didn't notice any cheesy CGI or anything. No, it was definitely a lot better on those regards. Which, um, uh, this movie did use a lot more practical effects. It did. Which, which you I could really, tell. I really appreciated that. Yeah. Um, um, I really like the scene. Like, I, because what made me consider that the first uh, GoldenEye was better, when I first thought, when I was thinking of the scene in the beginning, was specifically when he was in the airplane getting choked out by the dude who was unconscious in the back, and he ejected his seat when he was under that other airplane and took out the airplane above him. And that's, for me, that's kind of what made that scene specifically. I wrote LOL next to that. What I was re- That's why I was laughing. I, I was reading my notes and I was like, oh yeah, because I forgot about that. I laughed so hard because, well, it was a little fantastical, but that's fine. He is a fantastical Bond in general. But <laughs> how does that, like, you know, in the previous movie, we saw a full-blown-ass missile hit a wing of a plane, and it didn't blow up the plane. Right. But this guy gets ejected from the plane into the one above them, and the plane explodes. <laughs> like, he's somehow more, like, explosive than a missile. Yeah, missile. I was like, okay. <laughs> That's what I love about these films, is, like, I am now, like, it's been established in the first film. I can expect this level of ridiculousness yeah. and just enjoy it. I'm not going to, it's not like that Leonardo DiCaprio on the couch, like, uh, uh, you know, right. like I'm not doing that. So I, I just enjoyed it and moved on. I didn't put an X next to that. I just wanted to remark on it. Um, now, how do you feel about the stealth boat ship? Cause that's what we see next. Like uh, the boat itself or yes. I mean that, that whole sequence is pretty cool, yeah. you know, but how do you feel about that? See, I thought the boat itself was really freaking cool. Like, okay. I thought it looked very sharp. Um, you know, it was is really like the perfect look for a Bond villain, in my opinion, because it was dark. It was very slick. It was very. It looked mean. Yeah, it did look. It mean. just looked like I see this and I'm going to die kind of deal. In terms of like color palette and overall design, it exactly. reminded me of a stealth bomber. Yes, like an F5 or something. It, it had that same look to it. Um, but once it, like I didn't like the inside of it. The inside just didn't match that outside that's, to me. That's what I was going to comment. And on. I'm like, that felt like it was inside a studio. Yeah, it just it felt like it was a lot bigger than what it should have been. And it the, it was all bright and cheerful in there. And I was just like, this is kind of filthy. Except for like, and this is skipping ahead a little bit just really quick, but it's when we get a full like in-depth view of like the control center mm-hmm. where the cameras and everything. Like that looks like it would be in that ship. Yeah. I was like, okay, cool. But the rest of it, 
you could have had that stuff in any warehouse. Like, it could have been the same warehouse from the beginning of the other Bond movie. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I was looking for the gas canisters are going to fall and shit. I don't right. know. I was like, all right. Um, but yeah, so uh, for the most part, I, I actually really like that. And that's actually a realistic uh, ship design. So that, I appreciated that, too. It wasn't just something they came up with. And I feel like there was more attention given to realistic uh, technology and physics in this movie, which didn't apply in Goldeneye. Now, that's not consistent all the way through. But again, there was more attention to it. And this movie does have a different director. So maybe that could be a part of it. Um, the director is Roger... Sp- Spittiswood? If that's how you pronounce it, it is a it's, a... it's a unique name. But here's what's interesting about him. Up until this point, and then even after, he had done pretty much TV stuff and kind of B-roll movies. Now, he did do a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger after this, um, but besides that, he doesn't really have anything worth mentioning. So it's kind of interesting. And I, I, I wonder what led the studio to eyeing him as the director for this, potentially. You know, like, I wonder how that came to be. Because usually when a director gets, and, you know, even though this was in the 90s, I mean, this came out in 97, so production was like, you know, 94 to then. Even at that time, Bond was an established IP. Like, it is a franchise that brings in money, usually. So it's like, to get that movie to be Bond and to be the director, you usually have to have some credentials that justify, you know, like, like, can you imagine if they just had like a nobody that they announce as James Bond? You're going to be like, where does this guy come from? Right. You know, or, or the director, honestly. So it's kind of interesting that they have a TV guy. Yeah. I mean, there, I don't know if it was like something that they saw with his, shows and stuff that they like to style or if they were you know kind of taking a chance on him the way zach took a chance on uh his casting for um his justice league yes people where they're like you know this person isn't known let's make them known and that I is mean, that is a possibility. There could be there could have been someone behind the scenes. I mean, we don't really know the politics at this time when right. it comes to the movie industry. You or know, he could have just known somebody, and they're that, like, "Hey, we'll give you this chance." Zack Snyder is definitely a a wild man. Yeah. He's definitely a rebel with a cause when it comes to movies. You know, if he has his heart set on, he said this. You know, if he sees somebody in a role, mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah. You know, and if the studio or anyone else wants him to like screen test other people and roles he'll do it but in his head he's like you know at the end of the day i'm still doing this that's that's what happened with gal gadot you know so i i just think that's pretty fascinating so maybe at the time somebody was like hey this director you know i think he'd do a good bond movie and i gotta say i didn't really have decision i didn't have any issues with the directional decisions at all all. like um everything was delivered the way it should have been everything was convincing you know, like I, there wasn't anything that I was like, um, you know, kind of jumping ahead a little bit. Like when they're in cars, it wasn't like in Goldeneye where you can tell the vehicle isn't moving and there's a screen around the car. And you know what I mean? Like it was pretty much convincing. And they even did something that we still do in movies today, which is like 
if you're gonna have scenes inside a vehicle and you're gonna have a screen showing a background, you're also gonna cut to outside shots of the vehicle and have at least a similar looking background to where it would be, it would make sense that like, okay, 30 seconds ago, I'm sure like those buildings and shit we saw were in this little town we're driving through, you know? So they kind of did a nice like mix up. So um, it really sold it. Things were sold better in this movie. It was. Uh, and yeah, so I mean, I'm, this director did a good job. Honestly, it was sold from every aspect. I think Pierce did a better job in this movie than he did in the first one. He really found his groove with James Bond. Um, yes. Not that he did a bad job last time, but that was his first time, you know, being Bond. So I feel like yeah. he learned a lot from that movie to this movie, and it really showed on his aspect. Um, but I mean, he's he's not the only one. They they have other. Yeah, I. They kind of took a chance on a lot of people. I see a lot of people in this movie that I never saw prior, or from other movies before this time. Uh, Ger Gerard Ger. Gerald Butler. Butler. Yep. Um, He's one of my big notes I made. Which I'm a huge fan of his movies in the past. I'm a big fan of Gerald Butler. Yeah. Yeah. Ten years or so. Um, Colin Salmon. Salmon? Salmon? Um, Who was in Arrow as Oliver's stepdad, um, Walter. So as soon as I seen him, I was like. Oh, that's where I recognized him. Okay. Um, Yep. But, I mean, you know, everybody did a very good job all all the way around. Judy, Judy really brought him to life in this movie. I mean, she did a good job in the original, but here, like Pierce, I feel like she really, you know, yeah. took over that role more and really learned more about the character uh, itself and was really able to um, learn from the first movie. And, you know, they just, all around, this movie is just, a million times better than um goldeneye yeah well um you know to touch on something you you started off with um i guess you just continue with it that whole that whole time you know everything felt a little bit more polished characters felt more developed in this film and i think i said the last episode that i was hoping in this movie we would see bond a little bit more polished and established yeah. which we definitely get that feeling his hair looks a little slip, slicker. His suit fits a little tighter. You know, like he just uh, the the one liners are definitely uh, on point. <laughs> he doesn't miss a beat with those. Um, okay, I've been I've been on here trying to find what is the oh HMS Devonshire. That's the ship's name, right? That goes missing in the beginning. That's what I've been on here trying to find, and I can't. I have it written down, and I hate to say it, I can't. Sometimes in this notebook, I'll be, like, watching the movie and just writing without looking, and I can't read my handwriting sometimes. Devonshire. I think it's what it is. HMS Devonshire. Sounds right. The initial ship that goes missing with the missiles on it. Yeah. Because that's what Droll Butler was on. Yep. He was the lead seaman. That's where his uh, cameo was. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so, the drill. I put that in bold letters. I thought that drill was really cool. Yeah, it was definitely a different uh, take on anything I've ever seen in any other movie. The mechanics and everything actually made sense yeah. because something like that would honestly move forward right. just by its design and having it underwater. I was like, that's cool. You know, like everything about it made sense to me. It wasn't just like some like Hollywoodized like ship destroyer with no thought put into it. 
And spoiler alert for the ending, but like I was like, man, it'd be cool to like see something else with that. And we did. Oh yeah, we'll get back into that. But uh, so yeah, I put that drill. I was like, man, that that drill was cool. I think the whole plot line of this was a really cool idea where you know they really took it and made it a very uh political movie oh yeah well that's but why i was wasn't... bummed about the beginning with the russians yeah i was like not the russians again but when i realized that was just an intro right and we're doing something totally different i was like yeah cool man but the whole fact that the dude is you know with the uh stealth shit he's using that to create a war with people with uh who was it uh england and um china china yeah and he was playing both sides of that to make them think that they're attacking each other but he's doing it for views Mm -hmm. for his magazines his tv his networking and all that other stuff and it's just one of those things where um i think that was a really cool take that they did with it because it wasn't like obnoxious and i didn't see that i was like oh here we go politics in another movie yeah the, because of the way they did it it was very political but at the same time it wasn't like polit like it wasn't like actual politics being involved more so of a dude who's just wanting the clout yeah and it was like politics but they were implemented in an industry and this is another thing i like about this it makes this plot timeless because i don't see a day and age where that kind of media, uh, I don't want to say, well, sabotage, but also um, corruption isn't at play. You know, even to this day, like I was watching that movie and I was like, oh yeah, I'm sure that's happening right now with Fox or, you know, whatever. So brilliant on their part, having something like that in this movie, because it made it something that I feel like whenever you watch this movie, it'll probably be relatable to something going on in the current day of your time. Um, but yeah, so we, we have, uh, Elliot Carver established as the bad guy. Um, and, (laughs) um, what stumper is stumper. The, the blonde dude with the different colored eyes, the Uh, David Bowie stamper stamper. Okay. Um, Oh yeah. Sorry. I, I, my notes are all over the place. Um, we get something with him near the beginning and i was like okay this guy's gonna be a problem and he was the the um we see elliot carver uh and i kind of like how they introduce him as the bad guy because it's like these really close-up shots and you just kind of get like an outline of his face and like a glare on the glasses but you don't really get to see who is talking but you see he's communicating with the guys on the stealth ship like you know he's the bad guy or the big bad boss And then we see Elliot Carver, who looks like this friendly media mogul, like, oh, oh, oh. and obviously we're able to connect like, okay, yeah, that's the guy. But I like how they kind of try to separate the two in the beginning as as if almost they could be two different people, you know. Um, but then we see him communicating with uh, Stamper and he freaking mows down. I think there's like 17 survivors floating in the water from uh, the ship that they took just sprays them, dude. Like I was like, Oh crap. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, he didn't even have an, like an expression on his face. It was just like, I'm at work. 
And I was like, this guy's got issues, man. Like he's so I liked him as a uh, you know I talked about in the last episode. Classic Bond movies always have like the bad guy and his right hand man, and uh, I definitely like him better than Xenia on a top. You know, he's, and it's not like a sexist thing. No. You know, Stamper, Stamper could have been a female. It, it's just what the, per, the the character is all about. Yeah. We don't need someone who's orgasming when they kill somebody. No, if no. you ask me, that was kind of sexist because they were trying to sell sex through the woman who's yeah. like the right-hand man. It's like, no, she could have just been a badass, right? Why couldn't, you know, so um, I actually have the opposite mentality with this whole thing. So I appreciated that we just had a right-hand man to the bad guy that's just ruthless and and doing his bidding, you know, like, See, without remorse. <laughs> I almost had a problem with Stamper at the end, though. Yeah, I do. Um, I feel like yeah. they really nerfed him a little bit. like Yeah. Because I felt like he was here in the beginning, like you said, just um, with no expression, mows him down. And then by the end, he's like, I just feel like he's almost a whiny little bitch. Yeah, he kind of had this arc, and maybe it's realistic to a degree, because we saw this in the first movie, how, like, you know, the people that work for the bad guy end up realizing they're too much, or their ideas are, like, beyond making sense, and they turn on him. And this didn't ha- that didn't happen in this film, which I'm glad, but I feel like it was more of, like, they could tell things were falling apart. And I felt like a lot of different aspects of his organization were just kind of getting lackluster. You know, like, for example, jumping to the end really quick, um, when uh, Waylon is on the ship with Bond when they're infiltrating it, and he yells at the camera guy because he's just sitting there like this, and he's like, what the hell am I paying you for? Yeah. Like, he's not even looking at the cameras. And I'm like, I think that was intentional. Yeah. I'm sure somebody was like, I think everyone's going to be kind of getting fried on this guy, you know, like he literally fires people on a whim. He's yelling at people like I wouldn't want to work for him. I wouldn't be enthusiastic, but I'd be like, all right, I'm on this badass still ship. I'm going to sit here like in today's day and age. I'd be on my phone, you know, like I wouldn't be looking at those stupid cameras like I just thought that was funny. But I think that might be why Stamper started to like kind of come down off his his high horse. That makes sense. Because I literally wrote, Stan- that was one of my first big notes. Stamper is a unit. He is. Was. Yeah, was. Yeah. R.I.P. to Stamper. Yeah. Yep. But, yep. Uh, all right, so anyways, back on track. Um, I like uh, Sassy M in the beginning as well. When they're uh, in the in the car. Uh, which, ugh. there's so much to unpack there. Um what did you think about uh, Money Penny? She's the one driving the car when they pick Bond up and like debrief him on what's going on, and uh, so here's here's what happens. Uh, Emma signs Bond to the launch party for the satellite, and I'm kind of jumping some stuff. I, I have an issue with these movies where it's like you have the prologue and then you have the entrance music and then it plays all the cool graphics and whatever. And then the first act just kind of drags. It does. So and the first act in this was kind of like Golden Eye. I was just kind of like, eh, okay, whatever. We're, we're introducing people, blah, 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 blah. Um, but, uh, well, actually, does Q give Bond 
the car before he gets picked up by M? No, it's after. It's okay. That's how I wrote it down, but I was making sure because sometimes I get a little jumbled. Because she is talking, she handed in the pack and was like, "So and so would have my head if he knew I was looking into him or some shit like that." Yeah. And then he ends up meeting with Q and gets the car and is like, "Well, let's see how she is with my touch or whatever." Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah, so I was making sure I was keeping on track here. Um, so yeah, Bond gets picked up, uh, and you got M in the back seat with him. Money Penny's driving, and she's debriefing him about Carver, the the ship that went missing, the signal they received, they traced it back to Carver's organization, blah blah blah. Um, and then she she informs him, and I actually really like this for a plot detail. I thought it was brilliant. Uh, she informs him that Carver's wife is a former love affair of bonds i was like "Ooh, that's a nice little touch and i can confirm that's the only time in a bond movie to this day that's been established no other bond villain has had a wife so they were they made that decision and i think that's smart because it's like bond's known for you know having all these love affairs the chances of one of them being married to the bad guy i mean yeah that's very like okay but it kind of makes sense, yeah. you know. Um, it could even be cool to like have like, because you know, in the Daniel Craig movies, you have bad guys that like have a former history with Bond. It could be cool if one of them intentionally married someone Bond. You know what I mean? That could be a cool thing to play off of too, as a mind game. But Carver's unaware of who Bond is, right. so that's not this movie. But still, when she said that, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, but she. She says, uh, he, well, he says, I doubt she'll remember who I am. And she says, remind her, uh, uh, pump it into her, pump it into her. And then, and That's then Money so Penny obvious. turns toward him and says like, and, and, uh, something about like pump hard or something like, uh, you'll see how hard you have to pump. I don't know. Just something like really. And, and then Bond's like, oh, if only I could do that with you or something. I don't know. Oh, but I don't even remember that. Him and Money Penny have this thing through Bond movies where, like, he always wants to do something with her. Like, she's she's always played by, like, an attractive actress or something yeah. that flirts with Bond. But she works for the agency. She's all about the job. Yeah. So it's like they had that little back and forth. And I don't know. I thought it was funny. Um, but anyways, I <laughs> pump it into her. Just so filthy. <laughs> I'm telling you, for movies that are like marketed towards children, it's like it's a lot of some of this gets pretty cheeky, adult. man. It's like, geez, yeah. all right, yeah, pump it into her bond. <laughs> and he, he does later. Um, now, <laughs> so yeah, so she assigns him to go to the satellite launch party. Um, then he meets up with Q, which we have in every movie. You know, he's got to meet up with Q get the gadgets and the car and all that crap um i am a huge because usually bond drives a an aston martin okay. i'm a huge fan of bmws um especially there's like 90s models that i was just like really into when i was younger um so the bmw 750 i was like that's a nice car it's a nice car um but I like the whole like back and forth of uh, Q and Bond with the insurance and he's going over the coverage. I was like, you know, it's a kind of corny thing to have in this movie, but it kind of makes you think about like all the things that Bond doesn't worry about. Right. Like he just dresses nice. He drinks. 
He gets the bad guy. He gets the girl. That's his job. That's all he worries about. And then you've got all these other people in the background worrying about, like, like when he's blowing shit up, killing people, destroying vehicles, whatever, there's insurance coverage. There's people working in city halls and shit wanting answers. Like, right. You know, like, so it was funny to, like, have that suggested, like, hey, you know, Bond, are, are, you know, like, Bond doesn't care about that. Like, get that out of his face. He doesn't care. Um, now, you say, like, fire protection. He's like, yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Um, but it, it showed the realistic side of it because yeah, at the end of the day, like if Bond was a real person in today's world, that is what they would be worried about behind the scenes. Yeah. He wouldn't care because it's not his job. No. But like you said, people <laughs> up in City Hall and shit would be like, okay, why is this car in flames? Yeah. And why wasn't it covered? <laughs> well, so he's just like, cover it what i appreciated about it as well is like it kind of makes you realize you know with this being a fantastical world they're they're building with this bond series um you it's very easy to not think about these things right. you know like the the common street walker that's getting smacked by a car that bonds ramming out you know like like that one person has insurance they're gonna have a lawyer they're gonna be suing the city and so yeah. you know like there's there's so many things that come from that and everywhere he goes, there's explosions, there's death, yeah. there's destruction. You know, it's like, that's a lot, man. I mean, he took that car and freaking ramped it through the wall into, <laughs> what, that restaurant or a convenience store or whatever. Yeah. You yeah. know damn well somebody either got killed and or injured. And He doesn't even think about it. That's no, my he point, doesn't. though. Like, like, they've established uh, basically a platform in which he can just do his his bidding and yeah. not have to worry about this crap it was funny because like he even laughed afterwards and then went back to business like he thought it was funny it happened yeah and it actually puts him at a dis or an advantage over most of his antagonists in movies because they're usually in a position where they have to cover up their tracks right where he doesn't worry about that he's got a housekeeping you know crew like he's good but like you know carver he has to use his you know media outlet right to change up the narrative, to sell the people why something he did that's bad wasn't by him, it was by this or that. You know, right. like he has to put some extra work into what he's doing. So Bond's got it kind of made. He does, and that that inch, and that's what was funny because that was just like a minute and a half of dialogue, yeah. but it made me think about so much that I don't think about when watching these movies. And I don't either. I mean, any movie I'm watching, usually I'm not thinking like, oh, that person would be suing that person until they make it apparent. And then it's like, oh, yeah, that is something that they'd have to, somebody would have to think of and get yeah. taken care of for him. Um, I can't confirm this because I couldn't find anything on it in my research, but I almost wondered if that was added, you know, because you got Hugh asking about insurance, which he usually doesn't do in the movies. They actually destroyed like totaled 15 of those bmw 750s for this movie 15 so i i almost wonder if that was them kind of like making a joke like a very on the nose reference about like something that realistically was needing to be worried about because they, <laughs> they went through 15 of those cars that explains the 110 million dollar budget <laughs> Yeah, it, isn't that interesting how the first movie was like 60 million and like it, and now this one is like a little over what the norm was. Right. So, like I said, Goldeneye was a it was a hit. 
it was a hit definitely in that time period we definitely would have had a different comp not to jump back a week ago but we'd be having a different conversation oh yeah you know we did this in that point of time but no i mean this movie though it it was really cool to see because it was obvious that bond and paris had a very intimate relationship like he had feelings for her other than like yeah i want to sleep with you and that's it yeah and what what they decided to do with paris was a very like it, it really showed elliot's sadistic side like he had her killed just to frame bond yeah and you know it i think that was a very like intense decision i have something to say about that scene um but we'll get back into that i have to go back to the the car i love the remote control aspect of it yeah. um and i'm actually playing uh for anyone who follows us on twitter i'm playing batman arkham knight again um and that's a cool thing with that game is the batmobile and you can actually control it without being in it so when that happened, I was like, oh, dude, that's so cool because that's being implemented in video games in, like, modern day. So, again... Yeah, it was ahead of its time. Kind of goes back to how these 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 movies can't help but inspire video games, yes. even if it's not in their own IP. Right. Like, they just inspire these ideas. Really cool. And he uses it well later. Yeah. Like, um, and I, ha- I have a gripe about the, the cell phone, but we're going to get into that. Um, okay, so... I have an issue with this satellite party. Are we supposed to believe that Elliot Carver knows? God, there's there's definitely probably 200 people there at least, right? It's packed. Are we supposed to believe that he knows every name that's on the guest list? No. Because when Wei Lin gets introduced, she's just awkwardly standing behind Bond, right? And you could tell, like, Elliot doesn't care about Bond. He's like, oh, great, another banker. Yeah. But then he sees... You know, this Asian girl, and he's like, who are you? You know, doing that whole thing. And he's like, I don't believe I saw your name on the guest list. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. It just really bothered me. I was like, oh, that's how you're going to make a move on her? Like, you, you're you going to say, I didn't see your name on the guest list? Like, yeah. I, I don't, that just really bothered me. It, it felt like just a writing issue, honestly. Like, they are like, how can he, you know move forward in conversation with this girl upon meeting her and we're gonna pick that oh i don't recognize your name from the gut like dude i can barely remember someone's name that i met 10 minutes ago you know what i mean i was talking to uh my neighbor whose house is behind mine and uh first time meeting him officially after we shook hands and he told me his name, I forgot his name. That's what I mean. Like, like sometimes nothing personal. I'm just awful with names. There's no way I'd remember somebody on the guest list of random people coming. It, well, and here's my issue with that: right. if Elliot Carver was sold to us as this genius who's almost like so smart he's weird, yeah, you know, like um, like Rain Man or uh, what's the movie with Russell Crowe? A Beautiful Mind. Yeah, someone like that, you know, who's just brilliant. Like, can see numbers in the air and stuff. If he was introduced to us as someone like that, I'd be like, okay, that kind of makes sense. No, he's just a very, he's very good at selling himself as something he's not. 
But that that doesn't really add to like his. He's a con artist. Yeah, it doesn't mean he's brilliant necessarily. Unless, he ha- he has clever ideas, sure. And even if that's like a shot in the dark, and he's just pulling that out of his ass, what's the chance that she actually wasn't on the guest list? Because she easily could have been like, I mean, yeah, I I am on the guest list. Yeah. Like the one person he says that to, if it was like just a shot in the dark just happens to not be on the guest list well here's the other thing if he was that smart he wouldn't need uh gupta yeah his tech guy exactly like he's like the brains behind everything right like at the end when he lets him well actually he kills him himself spoiler alert when elliot shoots him to take away bond's leverage he makes he confirms that he did the thing that elliot doesn't know how to do right so it's like this is the guy that rem- remembered over 200 names on a guest exactly. list. I don't think so. I don't know. I just, so that was kind of just lazy writing. It was lazy writing. And I wouldn't care too much except it's how he continues the the conversation with Waylon yeah. upon meeting her. And I was like, and it sucked because everything else was pretty well thought out in this. Right. You know, like Bond, you know, being at this party. Uh, MI6 set him up in the database to look like a banker. You know, like when Gupta looks him up, he has over 10 years of a clean record as a banker and everything, but a little too clean. <laughs> but still, like, they had that thought out. And then, like, uh, Bond talking to Carver's wife, that's what leads Gupta on security to, like, wondering, okay, what's up with this guy? Because, right. you know, him just meeting uh, Carver as another banker, whatever. He's used to that. But to go to his wife, yeah, like that. So everything was pretty well thought out in in this whole sequence of scenes. So it just bothered me that, like, Waylon, who's pretty significant in this movie, Mm -hmm. I didn't think she was going to be, you know, but she's pretty significant. And I was like, that's how she's introduced. Okay, whatever. Um, So then, uh, of course, we have Bond's interaction with Paris for the first time. And... I'm not going to break that down. They just do a very nice job of establishing she's a, a former fling yeah. and he treated her like he treats the rest. You know, in my opinion, like she was nothing special. They had romance and he left. Cause Bond leaves girls. Like that's what he does. See, to me, I took it like she was something special. Well, yeah, but he didn't do anything different with her that he like any other woman that he's ever, you know, in the, at this point in the past 30 years of bonds mm-hmm. bond movies, nothing ever goes differently. Right. They either die or he leaves them. Right. Is, is what I mean. No matter how heavy they get, they, sometimes they live together, you know, like it, it always ends with death or he leaves because he's worried that it's too close and it's going to mess up his career. So, so I was like, okay. And th- I'm actually fine with that. Yeah. To me, it would be weird for Bond to have someone who's like special amongst the rest. Right. You know, I could believe that any former fling of his that he left that's still alive could be married to Elliot Carver and he would have the exact same reaction. Like Bond is definitely not a one woman man. No. In the same movie, he's already getting attracted to Wei Lin Right, just a couple of days later after his love yeah. dies. <laughs> you know, so it's just like, he is not a one-woman man. But they did a good job of establishing that. She slaps him. He plays calm and cool. Um, and then they have their, like, back and forth. 
And I actually like the conversation because later it's what lets Elliot know she has slept with this dude before because she makes the comment about, do you still sleep with a gun under your pillow? Mm -hmm. And then later when he has Gupta rewinding the footage, I don't know how they can just cut out all the audio in this giant room to just that conversation, but whatever, Hollywoodized. Um, She says that, and that's what strikes the nerve with him. Like, oh, she doesn't just know him. She has slept with him. Yeah. So I, I liked that. I liked how it all played out. It all made sense uh, and helped connect dots across the movie. So really well thought out. They didn't do anything too ridiculous with her. Um, and then, so yeah, he meets her and, uh, oh, <laughs> then he talks to Waylon, and, and you can just tell like, she's also not what, she appears by what she asks Bond yeah. because, you know, those that are guilty of something expect others are guilty of things as well. So she's there selling something, you know, she's selling that she's somebody she's not. So when she suspects Bond is doing the same, it kind of tells us as the viewer, she's not what she said, you know, the media rep from China. Um, and then she says, what kind of banking are you into? And he's like, hostile takeovers. Like, okay. Like, that was the first big, like, one-liner that he said. And I was like, there it is. Yep. So it's so, like, on the nose. Like, here's what Bond's doing in this movie. <laughs> um, oh, and... <laughs> Do you have anything to say about the, the security team that gets him? Because that's what happens next. He has the guy come and get him, like, uh, Mr. Bond, there's a phone call for you. In which... You can tell by Bond's expression, he knows what that means. Yeah. But he still goes. He's like, I'll play. <laughs> I thought it was like, there's a lot of things in this movie where I'm like, oh, of course that is what happened. Or, of course, you know. Or it, it was like very obvious. So, like, with that, I was like, that dude's watching them in the other room. He's going to turn back around and then he's just going to be focused on what he's saying. And then that window's going to get somebody thrown through it. Yeah. Like, I knew that as soon as I saw the dude go in the other room. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. There's a lot of very predictable things in this movie. Um, but I thought it was an entertaining little scene. Like, you yeah. knew James was going to end up kicking everybody's ass in the movie or in that scene and go through the window. Did anything about the fighting itself bother you? I just want to see if you noticed something that I noticed. Um. It, it does help. I was listening to this through headphones, so that might be part of why I noticed those. That I can think of. For whatever reason, just in that particular sequence, and I don't know if it was just like in the last chunk of editing and they were like rushing for release in theaters, yeah. the, the, spe- the sound effects are god-awful. Are they? Yeah, one of the guards goes down... And Bond kicks him in the ribs. And it sounds like someone took, like, a carton of eggs and just went, like, really close into the mic. And they didn't, like, edit it down or anything. And I was just like, like, that doesn't even sound like what would happen from that kick. It would just be like a, you know, like, just a thud. It wouldn't be like a, right. like, it, it almost sounded like ribs were, like, like falling like dominoes, like, <laughs> from that kick i was like okay and it wasn't even like a big kick yeah. it was a very like 
like a soccer ball kick, maybe, <laughs> if that. But yeah, the the sound effects now. I it's the only part in this movie I, I was like cheesy sound effects, just really cheesy sound effects. All of them were bad. Some of them had that like pow sound, like you would hear in the early Batman show. I just needed the words to pop up on the screen. Um, I, I got a pretty good, big gripe at the beginning of the movie. I just thought of it. Oh, okay. Um, James Bond, who is supposed to be the baddest motherfucker around. Like, if he shows up, he's going to win in, in the end. You already know it. You yeah. see him, he's going to win. He's a very intelligent man, though, at the same time. Mm-hmm. why in the beginning of the movie does he hit the dude in the face with uh i think it was the pilot helmet maybe or maybe his fist knocks him out and then leaves him back there without killing him for him to be able to wake up and then almost kill him. why would he do that like i just feel like that was very like unnecessary just for them to get a little bit more screen time with that scene there's i don't think it was intentional well let me rephrase that it was intentional but i think it wasn't something that should have been in the movie because it is consistent it actually happens a few times yeah and one time later which we'll get into uh with waylin's headquarters that Mm -hmm. really bothered me it's one of my biggest gripes but anyways um so no i i'm glad you brought that up because we're we're gonna get into that um so we cut to uh uh bond uh escaping or whatever yeah right and uh uh the the power gets shut off by bond to the whole thing mm-hmm. and carver is just irate man like he was giving this speech to the whole world yeah. he's embarrassed he sees that uh i don't know her name the blonde assistant that he's always speaking to oh um but uh professor in inga she's a professor i think so Dude, he treats her like an assistant if she's the one or the like the PR one the, lady the one in the white power suit that's always walking around with like a clipboard and stuff and like he just barks orders it might her. be the pr lady then yeah, maybe that's what she is that that can make sense that that would make sense um he he fires her like yeah he, she's one of the first people he sees besides his henchmen security whatever they are and he's like, what's going on? She's like, I don't know, sir. And he's like, you're useless. You're fired. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, whoa. Okay. Like something otherworldly is going on right now. Right. But because she doesn't know what it is, <laughs> fired. fired. Gone. Like, dude, you want to talk about s- establishing a work environment? Like, that's what I mean, dude, man. Like, if, if I'm the guy sitting in a chair, her. like watching the monitors, I'm like, you know, like, <laughs> I guess this is going to fire me if one of these things glitches, you know, like, <laughs> anyways i'm sure i'm sure the benefits are good that's why everyone sticks around he's got a great 401k plan um so he fires his assistant um okay and then after the escape obviously he talks to paris about like he knows something's up with bond right like he just knows and he's like connecting anything that went haywire to bond being there um so he's talking to paris about it and she's still playing dumb and he's like you're a terrible liar so next thing we see you know we got bond just chilling at his hotel room he's got his shirt on but he's drinking he's just chilling waiting 
and I kind of like that they did something interesting with this. It wasn't just like, you know, they cut from her talking to Elliot to her showing up at the hotel. We see Bond get to the hotel, relax, start drinking, and he's just sitting there staring at the doorway. And then we go to that. And we're like, why is Bond just staring at a doorway? You know, like, so that's kind of cool how they did that. And then we see, like, oh, he knew Elliot was going to send somebody, you know, and he sends her. Um, and, of course, that leads to them, within a matter of a minute, you know, having intercourse. Did you... Were you sold on their chemistry? Because I was not. On Harrison Bond? Yes. No. It, it felt way too rushed to me. It did feel very rushed. Because in a matter of screen time, six minutes ago, she was upset to see him and slapping him. And now she's showing up to warn him about her evil, diabolical husband, knowing that he's behind stuff. Where she already said, I've made my bed and you're not in it. Exactly. It was like, so all that was just nothing? It was a complete U-turn with her character. With, with nothing. Like, Bond hadn't saved her life yet. No. He hadn't done anything to warrant, like... To justify her betraying him. It was just a very, like... Like, oh, you left me in a bed 10 years ago, but I'm still yours. Like, yeah. okay. I, I just felt like it was very... But they, I kind of forgive it because she's very nothing, yeah. right? Like, two minutes later, yeah, finally she's, she's dead. dead. So, I don't know. But that just kind of made me cringe. I was like, okay. She's like, I've missed you. It, yeah, it, it it was a very quick 180. Yeah, it just felt very shoehorned, honestly. Like, just because we've been told she's a woman of his past, we're supposed to just buy into this romance. Like, usually Bond movies build it up a little bit more, so it was a little weak. But then when you realize that Wei Lin is supposed to be the love interest, it's like, oh, okay. Because I didn't expect that, to be honest really did i thought um uh, paris was gonna it, it's funny because again i've watched these movies before and i just don't remember them so right. it's like watching them for the first time especially as an adult and if i suck um so yeah i was just like oh okay they kind of caught me off guard with that and that's why i'm like i can forgive it i guess they had to like have him get his last uh popcorn buttered before they killed her off <laughs> but i feel Now, I can understand why they did it in the sense of Ellie. There, there always has to be a love scene in a Bond movie. Yes, but I feel like Elliot sent her there to do exactly that. Mm. And with the idea of, yeah, I'm going to kill her, send this guy to kill her to frame Bond to get him out of the way. Interesting. I didn't think about that. So you're saying Elliot guess that that would happen yes because bond goes oh he sent you're the one he sent or i wasn't expecting him to send you or some shit like that you know what that so, makes sense i didn't think about that because then later when bond returns to that same hotel room we see stamper up on the roof and the guys are on stand like they knew where he was yeah. and they they probably were there but like they probably followed her initially yeah it makes that all kind of make more sense um yeah which i didn't think about until just now um, no, it, it makes sense though. I agree with you. So, on that. but I feel like that 
otherwise it wouldn't make sense like why would she be in his bedroom and if you know why would he kill her have her killed and then placed in bond's bedroom like i feel like that would have just been like okay it was just random that they knew exactly where he was yeah but and- if he were to send her there in the thought of follow her mm-hmm. figure out where bond is and then we're gonna go through with this plan yeah well they do a good job of establishing uh elliot as a guy who doesn't really have connections to people on an emotional level so like his wife being expendable makes sense because you know his his smartest tech guy is expendable right like the guy who's actually making things happen so it's like you know we we get told that later in the movie but still you know we're kind of promised something they deliver on it later i'm okay with that like if you if you got a guy who can just get rid of his wife that means anyone's expendable so like in that scene near the end kind of jumping ahead if Bond's holding a gun to this guy and then he matters, it's going to be like, that doesn't add up. But he doesn't. So I can believe the wife didn't matter because no one matters. So I was okay with that. Um, now, I said I wanted to talk to you about that scene. I don't know if I've ever felt this in a in a Bond movie up until... Uh, Daniel Craig? Daniel Craig, thank you. I don't know if I've ever felt it until his movies with villains. But... It happened for me with this movie, and it really surprised me. I got chills uh, in a scene in this movie. And it's when uh, Bond gets back to the room and finds her body on the bed. Mm -hmm. Now, what gave me chills is what they the information we're being given in the scene at the same time that we're receiving the fact that she is actually dead. So bond finds her body and simultaneously on the TV, the news. And I questioned this at first, the news is saying, you know, uh, blah, 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 found dead in hotel room, blah, blah, blah. Like basically describing what bond is walking into simultaneously. And I was like, that's kind of weird. So I was sitting there like, wait, like, has this already been reported on and it's a crime scene or, right. you know, like, what, what are we doing here? And then I was like, oh, brilliant. Elliot is this media mogul. Like, he has the power to make this story. This is what they recorded and they're going to air. So he's just playing the recording in this room. I got you. I was like, Ooh, man, like that's that's next level villain shit. Because then... They start talking about Bond, and it was a a self-inflicted wound, you know, a gunshot, and Bond's just like, someone's still here. Like, that was so cool, man. I was like, man, that was good. It was well-filmed. The the camera was really close up. Like, so when Bond comes in, it's like wide shots of the room. You see her on the bed. You can tell everything around him is, like, clear. There's nothing he has to worry about. You know, he's cleared the room. And then... From there, it's close-ups on his face and the TV in the background. You can't see the room around him. You you know, so you're just like, okay, what's going on? You see him like, oh, shit. And then when we cut to that, we see the doctor. And I was like... Dr. Was, Kaufman. That was really well done. Like, that's probably one of the best Bond scenes that'll be in this series. Yes. I mean, we'll see when we get to the other ones. But, like, that was really well done. They, It wasn't just like... 
oh, let's have this villain that's a media mogul. You know, he's a part of this media empire. They didn't just say that. They showed how he can use that power. And not only to control things in the world, but to play mind games. That's what gave me chills. I was like, oof. So yeah, uh, I don't mean to go on too long, but I, that really got me. I was like, that's cool. That was a perfect introduction uh, for what I'm, I've been thinking since I watched this. Um, Dr. Kaufman um, definitely plays that like I'm very well at what I do because he's very socially awkward. Mm-hmm. And I think it was cool that he uh, they called him to try to get him to get Bond to unlock the car for them because they're trying everything and the car's like invincible. And he's like... <laughs> I'll ask him. And he's like, well, this is very <laughs> awkward for me. Yeah. Um, I need you to unlock the car. And Bond's like, no. And he's like, I'll torture. So it was cool that they brought like his, you know, job into that, thing, that uh, line there where he's like, I'll torture it out of you. But um, it had that humor that it wasn't, it didn't feel forced. It was a very natural thing for that character, I feel like. Which I really appreciated. Um, I do have a nitpick about that, though. Oh. Just, it, it's a subtle <laughs> thing, and it's actually not the worst when it comes to that cell phone. Um, you know, we have this doctor. I, I like just calling him that, because that's what Elliot Carver says. Like, we need to send her to the doctor. Yeah. You know, like, look, who's the doctor? Like, it's this assassin. Like, And I, I like that he establishes his profession in forensic science and all that. So like, like, okay, this guy knows how to cover his tracks. He's probably been doing this his whole life. Cool. Awesome. And he's literally telling Bond, like, I can shoot you from wherever and make like, so you're like, okay, this guy's really smart. He's been doing, he says, this is my profession. I'm a professional. Wouldn't you, as the doctor, when you got this guy that, you know, is like a top agent, uh, wouldn't you make him operate the phone to let the guys in the car? Exactly. Yeah, I was like, that's true. You just took a device from this guy who you guys already know is a problem for you. Yeah, and he and he has gadgets because uh, prior to this, he already broke into that lab with the cell phone. Right. And I'm gonna get into that because that I there's a reason I skipped over that. <laughs> that's just like a, a balloon of issues I have. Um, but they're aware of this yeah. guy and his capabilities. Why would you take anything from him in your hand yeah. and do with it what he tells you? Exactly. I was just kind of like, oh. like this guy just sold us as this professional and he did that. Like, oh, That's true. He, uh, let me just get shocked by your phone real quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, I looked over that. I'm not going to lie. I couldn't because I already hated that cell phone by this point. And like I said, if it was just that, I'd be like, cool. But I have a big problem with Q giving Bond a cell phone and in order showing him all the capabilities of it, right? And then in that same sequence, we see those implemented when he is infiltrating the lab. Oh. Like, here, Bond, I made this cell phone and everything is specifically for a scenario later in this film because I read the script. Yep. Dude, I was watching it, and I was actually laughing, because uh, I was watching it, I was like, okay, yep, there's that. Yeah. Okay, oh, yep, there's that. 
and it sucked because the the cool thing was the antenna going into the electric lock i was like that's cool everything from there the, the scanning i was like dude okay like he's literally doing everything like and that that was it the phone was not used past like all those and it was just one time each thing had one use yeah cool phone served its purpose it's like that's thanks q thanks for reading the script right <laughs> I, I don't know it just really bothered me and also oh just because of things not making sense we have the typical like you know uh uh how do they realize bonds in the lab does he run into Waylon in there oh yeah, yeah she pops so in she the, goes door. the door it God. sets the alarm okay. off and then she runs and he closes it and somehow they only see bond let me start yeah let me start from the beginning uh and i'll make this quick so and i'm gonna skip over the gadget usage we're already aware that i have a problem with that he he gets in this hatch on the floor to go down to the lab cool what are the chances that when bond decides to like finish his lunch go to this lab and go down there that is the exact time that the bad guys are talking about the important information that makes him know what he needs you know what i mean yeah it's like okay convenient timing it wasn't like he had to play back security footage and listen to a recording or something that would make a little bit more sense but no they just happened to go there right when bond came down the steps yay don't break this satellite it costs three million dollars oh okay let me just yeah and, and, and we're relocating it blah 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 i was like whatever dude so there's that convenient timing but then yeah i was actually okay with the rest of the lab scene besides the gadget use and then Waylon. but i actually thought that was funny um for anyone who's watched uh the old school um pink panther movies i love like the quirkiness of a detective or someone investigating something and then a another party or a representative of another party who's also investigating that actually causing a problem for you but in the same sense you're causing a problem for them right. i like the comedy in that yeah. so when when Waylon busts in the door and i was like oh okay like i kind of related to like if jordan was investigating something in the mall and then like me and you came in on the other door and he'd be like <laughs> you know what i mean like he would just be ripping his fucking hair out He'd be like, whatever, shoot me, shoot me. <laughs> so I just thought it was funny because Bond's like, fuck, great, all right. So he's running, he's shooting, doing all this yeah. cringy shit. Um, okay, now, the chase and fight sequence after that point, I actually really liked. I thought it was very entertaining. It kind of reminded me of um, the the factory in, in the mountain scene and uh star wars episode two where like anakin oh, on gets Geonosis? His, yeah yeah anakin gets stuck and he's got the metal around his hand kind of foreshadowing you know yep. but like that kind of stuff oh shit i never realized foreshadowing oh yeah oh yeah Dima. see i know some star wars but I like look that i love that because they're in this factory where there's like machinery yeah. moving and no one's in control of it right it's just a machine doing its job it's efficient it's cold it doesn't worry about human life so like if you've got a person getting stuck in a circumstance where that machinery could hurt them it's like whoa it adds a level of intensity so you already got bond running you got people shooting at him and then you're in this big newspaper print room that was cool that was actually really cool and the the fighting was okay like it wasn't the best no it was very 1990s it, it was it was kind of right. cheesy honestly but like the 
uh, a nod to the direction of the movie. They filmed it in a way to where it didn't really like stick out like a sore thumb. Like, oh, like the fist went past the face. Like, cuts were done in proper places. Everything was believable. Um, except for the guy that, like, Bond just straight up punches in the face. And, like, he's just like this. And he comes back and then he hits him again. Yeah. And then he falls through the newspapers. I was like, and, and then there's just blood on the newspapers. Like, continuous blood. Yeah. And I was like, I... we can see the body down there. There's no blood coming <laughs> right. out of him. And then Bond's like, He'll print anything these days. I'm like, oh, there it is. There's another one. Um, but <laughs> so cheesy. After there, I wanted to. Uh, you know how I get? I wanted to flip my desk. Yeah. He runs and jumps, and these guys are literally like spraying, but it's just conveniently bouncing around him. Yeah. There's a cart just laying. Like, I don't. Why there's randomly like, dude, OSHA would be flipping shit. There's just a cart laying on the floor, aimed perfectly for the curtains. Yeah. So Bond just runs, and goes woo, and he's just riding this cart but it's it's not going fast it's actually going the speed i think a cart would go like that if you ran and jumped and landed on it because your weight is actually going to slow it down so that was actually realistic what wasn't realistic is he's just going on this cart that's going like a mile you know whatever and no one's able to shoot him i think he was going slower than when he was running on the cart and they didn't even cut it to make it seem faster. They actually let it drag out, and he's just on the cart rolling, and there's gunshots all around him. And he's like, I'm going to get through the curtain. I'm going to get through the curtain. And then finally gets through the curtain, and I was like, no one could shoot the guy on the cart? I, Because I, on a cart, you can't weave around. You can't, like, no, like he has a linear path. You can just shoot in front of the cart. And then he's going to go through the, the path of fire. I was like, dude, that was a terrible... Idea. Whoever thought... Like, I'm sure there was an original take where Bond just runs through the curtain. They're like, wait, wait, wait. It'd be cool if he gets on a cart and rides through it. No, it's a cool idea. But like you said... But like you said, like, it was so obvious that it was barely moving and it's only one direction. You know, it's not like there was a random scooter there where he could turn it or anything like that, or like a skateboard or whatever, some Cody Bank shit. But he does nothing to control the speed or the slow. direction. It's lined up like a rat trap yeah. game. You know, like you just gotta have the marble roll into this place, and right. it's gonna go right where it needs to go. Like it is lined up with that chemical curtain. He just goes right through it, and then that stops bullets. I, I'm not even gonna get into that. Um, but yeah, so after that, I was like, whatever, this is done, right? He goes up the steps to the hatch in the floor that he came into the lab initially. Why on God's green earth did he take the time to turn around and shoot the electric key box that he initially used to, like, he already hacked that thing with his phone. Yeah. Why did you shoot it? An electric latched door will just open freely without the electronics working because it did when he came up the steps so i'm like you're you're shooting the thing you already hacked are we supposed to believe that's going to keep the bad guys from being able to come up and get him like what was the fucking point of that i think that's the point that they were trying to make but it but it doesn't make sense no they've already established earlier it doesn't matter anymore right he hacked it he bypassed it it's done that door's open we could see that because he came up the steps and just came right through it. it. Made no sense. 
I was like, somebody on the set was like, hey, Bond needs to turn around and shoot that so the bad guys can't come up. And nobody thought, like, well, he's already bypassed that. Wow. So, for the most part, I hate that whole sequence. And it sucks because I do like the the chase and fight scene in the newsprint room. I liked that level of chaos and uncertainty. But, uh, for the most part, there was just a lot of cringe and things that really bothered me. So, when that was done, that is definitely my least favorite part of the movie. I was like, thank God. Yeah. Just move on. I had um, a problem with the other really big fight scene with him running with uh, Waylon. Um, when they're uh, on the motorcycle. Oh, yeah. Because I'm like, oh, so everything's just perfectly laid out for you to be able to ride on it and go up and then ride down. Like, I'll be honest with you. I didn't even write anything down through that whole thing because it was like, here's another escape sequence where Bond's on a vehicle. And all I have to say about that is he's always invincible. The vehicle he's on is always invincible. There are no stakes. It's just I'm Bond. I need to get from point A to point B. I'm pretty. I'm pretty much convinced that he could be on that motorcycle and go into the ocean and <laughs> just ride and it. just ride the ocean floor. Like, I, yeah, no, I, nothing is stopping him from getting to point B. Now, nothing. The ending. I do have to say the ending of that scene with the helicopter where they thought they were trapped. I did enjoy that. I mean, yeah, it was, it was of course there's a hook yeah. there and they're able to do that, but it was a. It was entertaining entertaining into it that was the best part of that sequence there i just feel like they really dropped the ball with those big like escape sequences in this movie oh okay i have one we can get to and in order of things it's actually following uh the bond and doctor scene okay now real quick on the bond and doctor scene i wrote headshot really big because bond shoots him in the head an efficient kill. I was like, thank you. Yeah. Like, it's not like, like they had a moment to talk really quick and then he kills him. Like there was no like, cause he says, well, I'm just a professional. And he's like, I am too. Yeah. Boom. To me, that wasn't cheesy. Nope. It was stating a fact. Yep. And then he just thoroughly executes him to make sure that this guy who could be a problem later won't be a problem. And, and that made sense to me. Cause the big problem I have with movies is when they're like, you know, like in golden eye, he could acknowledge Alec was a problem, but he's not doing anything about him. It's like, okay. And same with Alec, who's the bad guy. So I like that they kind of made up for that in this movie. It's like Bond acknowledges a problem. He takes it out. So yeah, headshot was awesome. Then probably one of my favorite scenes in this movie, the halo jump insertion to the, oh, sh- to the yeah. ship in the water. Yep. Because that's where he initially runs into Maylin before they get into the whole yeah. escape and chase sequence. Um, I had no problems. That's probably the only sequence in this movie where I had no problems from beginning to end. Yes. That halo jump was so well done. Uh, if there was any CGI, I didn't notice it from all my research. That was a hundred percent practical. Oh wow. Uh, the stunt guy did 80 jumps confirmed 80 confirmed jumps to Damn. film that the way they wanted. That's awesome. That's a lot of jumps out of a plane. <laughs> I like that. So that was cool. Um, I like the Halo jump. And then I was like, okay, well, he's just going to smack the water. No, they actually did a realistic Halo jump. They had the brief parachute to slow him down yeah. from impact. Went right into the water. I was like, cool. And then he went down to the ship. I was like, that was, yeah, great. And then again, runs into Maylon. But, or Wayland, sorry. 
But what I like is, like, I was actually kind of creeped out because, you know, I have a fear of deep water. Right. And especially big structures that are underwater. Because you just never know, like, what's in there. There could be a shark or eels or whatever. So he's exploring it. It's creepy. It's dark and murky. And then you got, like, dead bodies floating around. I was like, that's cool. You know, I'm glad they thought to, like, add that. Because it makes sense that, like, not everyone escaped. Um, And then it added to, like, the intensity of, like, when you see a gun coming to the back of his head. And you're like, oh, my God. Like, what is that? And it's Lynn. But, yeah. I I thought that was very well done there, too. All the way to the end, because they come up. Okay, I have one little gripe, but I can forgive it because of the rest of the whole sequence. The chances of the ship falling off of the the structure it's stuck on when they're in the ship. But I was like, you know what? Maybe something they did. Get I don't know in the. I don't know. That's what I was thinking. But it's like whatever. I was like, I don't recall him other than opening a door which i guess could change like the you know yeah like water moved more right into more, so I, I, yeah that it, so and here was my other thing because you know in bond movies you'll never have him going into a structure especially when he's investigating something that doesn't explode or the stability of it is lost yeah so like i was like they had to think of something and i like that better than the other possibilities like an explosion right there's been a bomb ticking there for four days because they knew someone would be you know so it was all right i'm not too mad about it but i was like oh but the escape was very well done because it still gave you that like obviously it's james bond and he's not gonna die but it still gave you that eerie feeling feeling where it's like waylon could die here and it kind of made you think, like, oh, shit, she might not make this. He's going to make it, but you still kind of thought, like, he might not make it either. Yeah. Because of the way they filmed it, where they kept going back and forth to them and her uh, oxygen tank getting stuck and her having to take it off. Stakes and... were definitely established, yeah. you know? And it's like, even when if you're like, okay, we know our bond's going to get out of there, but we're not too sure about her. Right. Right? So, yeah, no. And then all the way to the end, because they pop up, and it almost feels like, ah got out of that and they see the ship with the local you know uh fisherman fisherman. yeah and then all of a sudden he gets speared through the back from good old stamper i was like yeah i wasn't expecting that that was holy crap dude like yeah so it was kind of cool i i so from the halo jump to there i was just like well done just kiss yeah um and there wasn't really anything like that in goldeneye there wasn't so Because, again, this really establishes that the right-hand man is there for a reason. This guy's going to pop up when you least expect, and he is a ruthless killer. Yes. Just, and, yeah, so he did a great job. He got Bond and Waylon and mission accomplished. Yeah, so I I really did appreciate him still at this point in the movie as the the bad guy's right-hand man. Um. And then, yeah, so that goes right into them, you know, going to... What What did you think about that whole scene with them and Elliot? Because... Oh. It felt a it, little... It felt more like a filler to make that, the movie longer versus anything else. Because um, all the dialogue is pretty generic. Um, you know, it's pretty typical, like, bad guy catches the good guy and like you're not stopping us 
and then uh i can't remember how does they they get out of it in a it's kind of like a believable way like i'm trying to remember what it was elliot's turning around to walk to something and he's got a couple of henchmen standing around uh bonaway lynn and then stamper is there with that hook to take off his uh scrotum and uh as soon as Elliot turns around, it, it's actually a pretty natural thing. I, I thought I had a gripe with this, but I guess I don't. Like, when he turns around, it kind of just momentarily distracts everybody, right? And Bond and Waylon just look at you real quick. He kicks the table that has that case of the hooks on it. That's right, yeah. And it goes into the guards in front, and then they have guards next to them, and they both take them out. Yeah. So literally everyone is taken out in a matter of two seconds, and Bond elbows the guy and takes his gun... And then he starts, you know, suppressing, right. and that they're able to run and jump out the window. Yep. Oh, and then they grab onto that's, the curtain, and, and... That, yeah. Which I had an issue with that. That's probably what I was trying to remember. Um, their arms would have been so freaking dislocated. You've got all the momentum of your body weight just falling, right? You're you're in free fall, holding on to that. You might have a little bit of like resistance from that, right? You know, poster or curtain, whatever it is. But when you come to that stop, your arms go. Well, and they just that, kind of, they come to a stop, and they're like, ah. Well, well that like, and right. you're telling me that these two have the grip strength, the hand and forearm strength, to be able to continue to hold that. Yeah, they're they're trained agents. They practice that specifically. <laughs> No, I mean, that's one of those fantastical things. Right. That, again, I don't get too much into that just because they've established that that's the world we're in. Yeah. You know, like, Bond is able to do this thing, so, like, anyone who's, like, uh, an associate of his can probably do the same thing. And if not, he'll be able to magically save them somehow, you know. But I actually like that at least they were consistent with establishing Waylon as someone who is just as badass as Bond. And honestly, I think she's more badass than Bond. Like her fight scene later, I was I was okay with that. Yeah, I think they did a good job with um, her fight scene. But okay, so they get away from him. We already established the chase. Um and then Oh, that actually goes into her and Bond having their shower scene yeah. in the alley which that's, I mean, we could kind of guess at this point they were going to have some kind of romantic thing going on because she's the only female in the movie right. that's, you know, being emphasized. And um, that shower scene was kind of funny, actually, just because, like, you know, they're still handcuffed to each other. Yeah. And Bond being Bond, we know the one thing that makes him, like, susceptible to something that's a, a disadvantage is a woman in his presence. Yeah. Right? So, like... They're staring at each other. They're on the water. She's wearing a very paper-thin white T-shirt that's getting wet. He's just like, oh. Yeah, he's in heaven. And and she takes off the handcuff off her first. He's not even thinking about the fact that it's still on his wrist. And she handcuffs, which they did something I'm really glad because mm -hmm. I was looking at that pipe. And I was like, dude, he could just rip that thing off. Yeah. You know, like, that's that's nothing. It's a little thin copper water pipe. like, And he did. So I was like, all right, cool. Um but I just thought that was funny how she's like, I work alone, and she goes off on her own. And then, like, not 20 seconds later, you got the freaking Yakuza showing 
of like trying to take her out. That's not who it was, but right. that's, that's what they were acting like. They're rolling up deep, running in there. I was like, man, if it takes this many units to get this girl, she must be something. And then they show that. Yeah. Dude, I mean, you might disagree. I don't think she needed a bond in that. Like, I know he shows up and gets the guy that has the gun, but... I feel like she was so badass, she probably could have done something in that scenario. Because, again, I think they established she is just as good as Bond in moments like this. And when it comes to -to hand-to-hand combat... She's very skilled. Dude, she's a badass. No, I agree with that. That was a cool fight scene, especially for a Bond movie. Yeah. Especially... So, the fight scene, like, towards the end, I'm only referencing this little part, but the ninja star in the heel of her boot, Mm -hmm. like, that just showed, like, she has tricks up her sleeves. Too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, when, like you said, she didn't need Bond there because she, more likely than not, like, she has something somewhere in that place to help her. Well, yeah. I mean, because they established that she's literally the equivalent of him when she reveals her headquarters yeah. is that little yeah. house or shack that they're in. Um, Real quick before we get into that, though, something that made me belly laugh, like, got me really good. Bond is kind of like slowly but surely infiltrating this house that she's in, getting attacked in. He's taking a guy out at a time, right? Right. Quick and efficient. There's a guy leaning up against the doorway, and I'm like, was he the driver of a car? Like, I, I'm like, I don't even know that he's associated yeah. with the bad guys, right? Like, he's just leaning, up and he's like trying, he's like got a cigarette, and then Bond comes walking up like. Like, oh, you need a light, you know? Yeah. And he acts like he's getting a lighter out, and then he like does the whole like punches him. I was like, "What that guy do? Like he's just trying to smoke a cigarette." And I was like, "Why did we take like 15 seconds <laughs> right. to play a game of? Oh, I have a lighter. Like he's trying to smoke. Just go up to him and punch him. Like, why did you have to play a fucking mind game with him? I was laughing so hard. I was like, that's completely unnecessary. Like I think you're just." punching asian guys like i don't think you're actually like <laughs> it's like this dude's just chilling trying to smoke a cigarette like i honestly felt like he could just walk past him and the guy wouldn't have cared he probably would have been in the street like does anyone have a lighter like <laughs> so yeah I, it added like this whole element of comedy to this moment yeah. that i wasn't really prepared for no and if i'm going to be super nitpicky i would say that was completely unnecessary or justified but it made me laugh so much that i'm okay with it i was like all right bond's a dick <laughs> and then he goes in and saves well in you know perfect timing um of course it's like if he hadn't done that whole song and dance with the cigarette guy he would have gotten there earlier to where the guy couldn't have even drawn a gun right. i don't know whatever anyways so yeah we get to her hq which she you know reveals like yeah computers weapons all that shit he's like oh looks like him you know he has to let us know that you know but i I like that because it's establishing she's literally on the same same level level. as bond like no question about it now my biggest nitpick about this movie just because it it made me so mad and then they show why it happened and i was like that was stupid that was just stupid she clears house, right? Like, there's like, what, 12, 15 dudes in there? She's just kicking ass. Bodies everywhere. They're just laying around. And and, and she reveals her headquarters. Yeah. And the bodies are just 
laying around and they're talking about all this important shit with Bobby with the bad guys around and and they're all just still laying around and this goes on for a couple of freaking minutes before the one gets up to come at her and he says like on your left and then she slaps a button and there's like a giant like boxing glove on a spring it's like that's why you didn't have them clear house right you fucking kidding me dude I was like, that's dumb. That was. It was just dumb. And it didn't even make me laugh. No. Like, it happened, and I was like, okay. Because the whole time, I was like, are they going to address all the bodies right. still in this HQ that she just revealed? Like, that top secret as fuck. Yeah, and not only did that, like, answer a stupid question with a stupid answer, but then it also told me, okay, so... She wasn't really efficient in making sure everyone was dead, right? So I can't assume... Because up until that point, you could just assume, I guess they're all dead, and she doesn't have to worry about them, right? But if one can pop up, that means she doesn't know that they're dead. Well, that's the thing, though. So it's like, like, I don't recall her, you know, breaking anybody's neck or, like, apparently be, killing them. It was She was knocking them out, if anything. It'd have to be, like, palm strikes behind an ear and shit. You right. Know, like, stuff that can actually kill somebody. So, why... It, it's just stupid. It'd make more sense if she went in, or went back around, grabbed one of the guns, and started shooting each of them. And then it's like, okay, cool, she got rid of them. There's no need for them not to worry. Yeah, and that is a point where if Bond wasn't introduced to the scene yet, or if he had went to use the restroom or something stupid, yeah. I'd be like, okay, that's where Bond is a step ahead of her. Right. Because he's efficient. But Bond was in there. He's probably stepping over the bodies to play with her freaking <laughs> fan and her. shit, you know? Like, and then he just casually, like, on your left. Yeah. That and, she, was... and she's like, boxing spring. Yep. And he just gets launched. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's just. Like, I guess if I wasn't already, like, in tune with the fact that they hadn't addressed the bodies. I'd be like entertained by it, I guess. Right. And I guess as a kid, it's funny. But watching it as an adult, I was just like, dumb, stupid, dumb, dumb, dumb. And especially with scenes that are so well thought out. Right. Earlier in the movie. And now we're getting closer to the third act and we're going to have a jack-in-the-box boxing glove. Jump out of nowhere. Yeah. That was a like, poor that, there, that should have been a big red button that said pow on it. Like, right. boing. Yeah stupid anyways we're gonna be fast from that uh <laughs> wayland's still a badass though yes i i love the choreography um i actually went back and watched it again because you know i like to examine like fight scenes like christopher nolan's dark knight trilogy yeah. they're god awful if you just play them like 10 seconds by 10 seconds but it's like oh but especially for a 90s movie yeah, very well thought out yeah no it was really good um I was surprised by that. And again, I've always thought that the Pierce Brosnan uh, movies weren't as heavy with the hand-to-hand combat. That's always been a thing I liked about the Daniel Craig movies. Right. So it's kind of cool to be like, oh, but they actually did sprinkle it in there. Yeah. You know, it was it was in there. It, it has a very, like, unceremonious ending, which is weird for a Bond movie. Yeah. Like, especially after Goldeneye, because Goldeneye... You have, like, the president's military showing up with right. fireworks and kazoos and shit. <laughs> Freaking Naboo celebrating the yeah. end of the droid da-na, da-na, federation. Da-na, da-na, da-na. <laughs> 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 
holding the globe of peace or whatever the fuck it's called. Yeah. I, but yeah, so to go from that to just them floating in the water, like surrounded by chaos and Let death, search and they're just kissing finally, it's like, oh, okay. It was a bad ending. That I, part right there was bad. I, I'll be honest, except for Elliot's death, I yep. don't I don't like the ending. I like Wayland Clayton House. Yeah. Oh, okay. But so. I was already like expecting that at this point. Right. So it didn't surprise me. I was like, okay, she's doing her thing. Bond's doing his. But when they infiltrated the ship, like they initially just got on it. I never once felt like they might not complete this mission. Never. And that bothered me. It really bothered me. Like, and here's the other thing. Elliot Carver, who has shown like he will not hesitate to kill. He won't hesitate to fire. He won't hesitate to do whatever he needs to do to complete his goal. You have Bond beaten out of breath, leaning up against this computer board. You've got a gun pointed at him. Why are you taking the time to talk to him and explain your escape plan? I have a helicopter coming in. You know, it's like, okay. Like when he said that, I was like, Bond will be using that helicopter to leave. We don't see that, but we can just understand that's how Bond and Wayland will get out of there. So I was like, why? Why why can't we write a story where the bad guy stays consistent and something else is introduced that causes a hit you know like why does it have to be him after i've gone through all this now i'm gonna talk to you for a little bit like just shoot him well even and then you have the, nothing to worry about yeah exactly and he, especially because you keep saying you're gonna die here like he knows that like the explosion it's gonna kill bond right, right? And he, so why, why don't you just kill him now like why wait why allow time for bond to think of something or well they got such a like important you know their little boat ship thing their stealth boat is such a big part to his plan bond <laughs> bond and waylin <laughs> drive a little boat up and just hop on and hop in there like why was there nobody there to try to prevent them from getting on when he knows they're coming after him. Like, I get in the beginning of the movie, there's nobody there to know, you're here, this is what you're doing. There's nothing there for anybody to know that. So not having the people there wouldn't make sense. Why are you not getting taking extra precautions knowing Bond's well aware of you by now, well aware of the ship? That's fair. I didn't really think about Why that, to be honest with you. Why is nobody there to prevent them? And then... He sees on the camera, oh, she's there, which means Bond's here too. Now we got to send people. And you're you send four people? You're making a valid point, and I'll tell you, I know why I didn't think about that. And I'm not saying I disagree with you. I agree with you 100%. Um, I think it's just a flaw in the writing, because if you think about how Bond and Waylon get to the stealth ship, you know, she reveals there's four possible areas it could be in. Right. They hone in on that one because there's reports in the area's media and everything, right, that Carver can't control, that boats are going missing. Right. So it's like, they know they're being sought after, and they're known for doing this thing, but they're still doing that when they're being sought. Like, 
wouldn't you take a break from that so that you can remain hidden? So from that point, I was like, okay, he's just lost his mind. He's on a path of destruction. I kind of believe he didn't care about surviving, honestly, until the end when he's like, I'm going to get out of here on a helicopter. And I was like, oh, because Stamper kind of feels like he's on a mission to die. Like he literally said, like he gets stuck and he tells Bond, like, you're going to die with me. It's like, okay, he doesn't care. Right. He's ready to die. So... I felt like that's kind of why maybe, but, but I think it's all kind of, I think it's all kind of, again, poorly written. Yeah. Because Elliot was so obsessed with making sure his plan succeeded. Even if he didn't give a damn about dying, he's going to care about his plan. That plan is not going to happen when Bond and Wayland arrive. Yeah. So there's four possible locations. That's a 25% chance he's going to show up. Why take any risk? If I was Elliot and there was a 0.001% chance that Bond could show up, I'm moving the ship to a different location. Yeah. I'm getting everybody who is who I can take away from their post and place them on the lower level there to watch out for Bond because it looks like that's the only way in and out. So the only way they're getting in is from right there. I'm putting people there. As soon as they see them show up, shoot them. Yeah. Well, and that's honestly, this movie, because it has some scenes in it that I was just like applauding yeah. in my head, right? This movie was actually writing out of four. I was like, I'd probably watch this again. But then the ending, you know, they created stakes by laziness. And I do not condone that. I think it's stupid and it just takes away from the overall quality of your film and the story you're trying to tell. It's very lazy writing to just have the two protagonists that are very well trained and have these organizations backing them up. It's very lazy for them to just be like, oh yeah, we'd let them know and they would squabble. We'll just go handle this ourselves. Lazy. And it's lazy for the bad guy to just be doing the thing that he was doing that got him attention in the first place. Right. Cause then it's going to be like, here's where I am. Come find me. That's just laziness. And yes, I'm saying the writers could have taken some time to create a way for Bond and Waylon to find the stealth ship, whether they're a part of a team with Bond's side or her side, whatever. They, they find it and the stakes are high because when they find it, Carver's like, oh crap, I got to get the satellite. I got to get things going, right? Like there's a ticking time bomb now on our operation and and stuff like that. And, and then if he had really driven home that, like, I'm willing to die for my cause, that makes a good villain, in my opinion. When you feel like your villain is just completely not connected to any kind of life, even their own, it makes them scary. Yes. So they took away from how scary he was. They took away from the quality of the story. And it sucked. That's why I hate the ending. The ending was just kind of lame. It was pretty lame. Um. Again, to relate it to a video game, it almost felt like if, because uh, there's a there's a mission in Agent Under Fire that was pretty difficult that I played on PlayStation Two, uh, where you gotta like infiltrate a submarine. Mm-hmm. If you didn't have that on easy mode, you weren't sure if you could beat the mission. So it, it felt like the writers put this movie in easy, and I felt that from the minute they found the ship, I was like, well, the movie's over. They're gonna win. I never, I never even worried about her dying, which usually in Bond movies, 
it's a 50-50 if his you know partner is going to live but no i i knew i knew she was fine i knew he was fine i knew the plan was going to work i knew stamper was going to die i knew he was going to have a significant death and i knew carp was going to have a significant death i knew it now i was surprised by the the saw coming back into play yeah that was nice yeah, I, I was like, cool, because I'm like, you guys introduced that early in the movie, you know, this really unique, cool design that kind of made sense. I was like, thank you for bringing that back. I appreciate that at least. And it, it being the way that, you know, the villain gets taken out, the villain that, you know, was behind it being used in the first place. It kind of had a full circle feeling. But other than that, I just really don't like the ending. Yeah, the only two parts that really like stuck to me and where I was like, all right, I really like that, was one, when she pulled the star out of her boot, she threw it at a guy's throat. I thought that was a really cool thing she did. Mm -hmm. um, and then when she had one bullet left, and there's two guys on this side, and oh. that guy there, and she already killed him, she had one bullet left, and she shoots the vent or whatever that was, yeah. and it blew steam in their face to where she could go grab the other dude's gun and shoot them. I thought that was cool. I enjoyed that part as well. Yeah, it was like creating two diversions with one right opportunity. Um, was, yeah, well, really well done. So, but other than that, you actually reminded me of, I didn't care. No, of no. another thing I did like because it it was kind of we didn't get to see a lot of Bond's cleverness right being displayed because he's a very clever person. He's able to like uh, think ahead in most situations, which you know, yeah, we had the the watch that was synced with the grenade as the backup plan. Right. And the, but eh, stuff like that's like, whatever he's using gadgets and whatnot, but this just showed his intellect. When Waylon gets taken by stamper, he's like, okay, they've taken her. They're going to know that I'm here with her. They're going to be looking for me. So he has the, the guy who he's already incapacitated. And when stamper is like looking, he has that body hanging out. Like he like it's Bond looking, and Stamper thinks it's Bond and shoots, and then the body just falls in the ocean. That was brilliant. I I, I actually really liked that. I forgot to remark on that, but I forgot about that too. That was pretty cool, and it it was kind of a way to like let the bad guy know you can calm down and go back now. The threat's gone. It was cool. I I liked that. So that'll be the other thing I highlight. But for for the most part. The ending, the way it was written, took away from any of the cool factors about our protagonist that we like so much. And even the villains. Like you said, Stamper just gets nerfed. And I have a huge problem with him getting... Like, I don't care how, like, invincible someone is. You can't have someone get stabbed in the middle of the arm. So it definitely hits their artery. And then you take that knife out to stab them in the chest. And then he just laughs. I was like, is he bionic? This stamp, like, you know what I mean? Like, what are we doing here? Is that the Terminator? <laughs> Somebody has different colored eyes. Like, they ran out of one color in the shop. They were just like, Bzz. What is it? There's another movie like that where, I forget. Oh, Sherlock Holmes with uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. and yeah, that big old guy. Yeah. And he hits him with a hammer and the guy just goes. Uh, it's It's just one of those things where, like, at least with that, like, that was a ginormous dude, so it kind of made sense, but it was also very, very Hollywoodized <laughs> to, to show, like, yeah, this dude's a problem for him. But a guy like Stamper getting stabbed, like you said, in the freaking arm where he did, and then in the chest 
would not just be able to rub dirt on it. And then there's no blood to follow. No, like no blood at all. Shirt, his arm, everything would have been. He doesn't soaked. bleed. He doesn't even like scream. Like, dude, can you imagine just getting stabbed in your bicep? Getting like a bee sting in the bicep. Like he just takes and he's like, Argh. right. Like, and then Bond takes it out and. And what's funny is he doesn't show, like, any signs of pain until Bond takes it out of his chest right. to cut the vest when he falls in right. the water. And he's like, oh, oh, like, now it's hurting? Right. And still, I, that, that no was blood. Just poor. No blood. And there was really blood in this movie, which is interesting because there was a lot, a lot of blood, blood in, in Goldeneye. Goldeneye yeah. Now, that kind of leads me into something. Goldeneye got a lot of flack and backlash from general audience for too much hand-to-hand combat, not enough gadgets. And I'm sure you noticed the gadgetry was stepped up to a whole new level in this movie. Yeah. That's why. Wow. They got a lot of backlash. That's dumb. It would be the same as like people who went and saw Matt Reeves, the Batman, and they're complaining about all the normal things we see with Batman that we aren't seeing yet. And it's like, He's establishing him. They were doing the same with Bond. They were establishing Bond. We had a younger Bond, right? So it's like people just don't want any buildup. They don't want to see progression. No. They, they just, just want to want... have the meal delivered and 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 consumed. And it's like, that's boring to me. You know, that's why Zack Snyder is one of my favorite directors, because he takes these things that we know and love and he breaks them down and shows us how they're made. I like that. I like seeing how the sausage is made, you know? Like, So, I I appreciated that they had the fresh start with Bond and Goldeneye. I actually am not a big fan of the gadgets. I think it just makes for an easy way for him to get about, which is why I love the Daniel Craig take on Bond so much. Um, it, Yeah, it feels more realistic, but it's also just like, okay for any jam bond gets in he can just whip out this phone that's got an antenna key and a scanner and a thumbprint it's like okay i i like the take of bond where he has to get like one of the guards uniforms and act like he's one of the guards and tiptoe around everybody you know like that's cool i'm not a big gadget person almost like an ethan hunt kind of now i i will say i do like the car gadgetry you know from, from the smoke dispersal to the bombs that it drops, I was like, the car is cool as hell. Uh, but, yeah, besides that, I'm not... So I think it's funny that I am just... I'm typically never in agreement with general audience. I don't know why that is, but I'm just not. About any movie. Really, about any movie. But, uh... Overall, though, you know, without the... The movie as a whole is definitely an improvement from GoldenEye. Oh, much better. It was better written. It was, you know, the characters themselves were uh, better portrayed. And like I said in the beginning of this podcast, um, you know, I think that was just, you know, uh, Pierce and uh, Judy, mainly because they were in the last one, but those two did a fantastic job at really filling in that character and bringing them more to life. And, you know, a lot of that is the build-up to those characters. And, you know, in most movies, the actor who portrayed the... If there's another movie with the same actors, they're going to do better the second time than they did the first time because they know the character more. They, 
you know they uh have more experience in that role so yeah yeah um overall it was definitely a better movie than the uh golden eye one and i i'm satisfied with it um but when we break it down the way we did it, it's there's a lot of stuff that was still wrong yeah there was a lot wrong with it um but I do think overall I had more positives yes, to say. Yes, one hundred percent. So that's good, and I'm excited for the next one. Yeah. Um, I'm also curious to see if Waylon is in that one because it's the world is not enough one, correct? Yeah. I uh, I looked up the casting of that, and she is not in this. Because there are Bond movies where if the the female survives, the next one will start with her, but usually will get killed off early in the story. So, she she is not i was kind of especially with the way it ends yeah you know it's a very open ending i mean it oh she was in shang chi oh really that's cool oh so speaking of other movies it just made me think of uh some kind of crazy fun facts i'll start with Joel butler so i didn't recognize him in that scene and then when I was doing research on this, I went back and watched it, and I was like, that is a young Gerald Butler sitting there. Like, he just turns around and talks to Bond real quick. I was like, that sure is him. Um, Carver, who I would say at this point in the Pierce Brosnan run, is a, is the best villain. I like him way better than Alec. Or just the typical evil Russians in the movie. Right. Uh, Anthony Hopkins, our sweet, sweet Hannibal Lecter, was originally cast to play him and was on set for three days and left. Wow. Apparently this movie almost didn't happen. This movie had a lot of controversy behind the scenes with the the staff in terms of the production crew, the actors, the studio. There was a lot of stuff going on. Differences in opinion, uh, differences in direction. So like, what's funny is I actually read that before I watched this movie. Because I always like to kind of read about, like, what was going on when a movie was being thought of. Like, what inspired yeah. it, whatever. So, obviously, we know what inspires these movies. But, yeah, apparently at the time, because they were still, like, unsure about Bond after, you know, License to Kill flopped in the 80s. They have GoldenEye as a reboot. And it got mixed reception, but it was overall a success with the box office compared to budget. Um, but... Again, it had backlash. People were like, that's not Bond. That's me. We need gadgets. Um, oh, it was too violent. I forgot to tell you that. It was too violent. So that's probably why we didn't see a lot of blood. But with that being said, understandably so, there was a lot of chaos. Uh, Pierce Brosman's actually been quoted saying that that was the most chaotic uh, movie he's ever been a part of filming. Oh, wow. But dude... Anthony Hopkins almost played Elliot Carver. Can you imagine how iconic that villain would be with Anthony Hopkins playing it? I feel like he would have been a lot more terrifying of a villain. Dude. Because of the way that Anthony portrays his people. Yes. And he would make the actor that played him in this feel like a TV actor. You yeah. know what I mean? Like a T like a not, I don't want to say CW, because he, he did a great job with the role, yeah. but it would just put this villain on another tier for me. Yeah. Um, very similar to Christoph Waltz in the Daniel Craig yeah. movies. 
I'm a big fan of Christoph Waltz in general. And when he's playing a, a bad guy, like he plays the Nazi, the Jew hunter in uh, Inglorious Bastards, oh, yeah, yeah. like it's one of his iconic roles, of course. But I'm a big fan of his. And him being a villain in Bond, I was like, oh, man, yes. Anthony Hopkins had been in this. Oh, my God, dude. I read that. And I was oh, like, it to a different level. what did you guys do to freaking push Anthony Hopkins? Like, how do you reel in that monster of a talent? And you let things get so bad, he walks off the... Ca- like, he was it, man. He was it. He was on set for three days, and he left. And apparently, he left on really bad terms. Like, he didn't communicate. He didn't. He just left. His, he just uh, his representation, how to communicate with everybody. Yeah, he was done. He was done. Dude, that's messed up. There's no, like, direct quotes about it, but he apparently just, from what people have said, he was unhappy with how unprofessional it was, uh, how there was no direction and he felt like it was just very chaotic chaotic is a word that's used a lot when describing the production of this movie so it's pretty interesting so that just tells me that roger spottiswood or however the name it's an interesting last name yeah um that just says that he dropped the ball Oh my gosh. Um, um should pretend that didn't happen. Alright. Oh, yep. <laughs> wow, Put trash can under the light. That's, right. That's how I get it in there. Um but it, that just tells me that he dropped the ball directing these people to do their jobs. Well, and again, that could be a thing with where he's coming from. This guy came from doing television. Right. And B-roll movies. Now he's on a big production with a studio that he's not worked with, coming down on him hard. He's got A-list actors that are like, what are we doing here? He's kind of the middleman, so I kind of feel for the guy, honestly. Because he was was in a realm he was not familiar with. That's why it's so weird that his first big budget movie, like Blockbuster, is Bond. I was really surprised he didn't have something big in his... Prior to that. Pri- yeah, I, I don't know. But, but uh, again, I mean, with everything considered... He did a good job. He did a... Yeah, I think this movie was well-directed. Like, I'm very satisfied with um, his direction and the way he made it. And, and but even, it sounds like the behind-the-scenes aspect is where he dropped the ball. And it's really a credit to everyone involved because I think all the editing was done really well. Uh, most of the special effects and everything were like, great a lot better everything sold to me um and not only that but usually when you have like a hasty work environment on these sets Mm -hmm. it comes through in the actors they don't give the performance they would normally give right didn't notice that with anybody it it might have fueled them to perform better actually but either way i I was okay with all the performances in this really was um so yeah it's kind of crazy to know that there was this fire underneath all this because you really wouldn't tell and maybe it had nothing to do with roger at all and maybe it was you know the production companies themselves maybe it was something else and it was out of his control completely um and i could be just completely throwing him under the bus for no not no reason but like wrongly yeah so if i am incorrect you know it's nothing against him or anything like that it's just that's the way i'm seeing it um and i 
like I said, I could be completely wrong that it falls on him, you know, even a little bit. But I just feel like as the director, you know, he should be um, making sure things like that doesn't happen with such a big name movie and having uh, Anthony Hopkins, like especially like he, he's big now. But at that point in time was when he was thriving in this. Oh, industry. he was red hot. Yeah, red hot. Like yeah. if he's in your movie, that movie's a, a success because of how great of an actor he was and still is. It, it kind of spoke a lot to me about how much faith they had in this franchise after right. Goldeneye. It's like, yeah, there might have been some backlash and things they were uncertain about, but overall, they knew that they were sitting on a hot commodity yeah right like they knew that this was something they needed to expand on so they were putting budget out they were trying to have a-list actors come in you know and yeah anthony hopkins it would have been really interesting to see him and pierce brosman on screen together right that would have been cool i'm i'm upset that didn't happen nothing against the actor who did play elliot but i'm just saying that would have been cool that's all i'm saying but, I mean, it's no different than saying I wish Michael Keaton could have kept playing Batman after right. Batman Returns. Right. I love Val Kilmer in Batman Forever. Yeah. Um, don't like George Clooney. But <laughs> if there had just been a continuity of the same actor, you know, that would have been cool. Yeah. And really the same director, but getting ahead of myself. Anyways, um... So, yeah, anything else you want to say about this movie? No, I mean, I, I've made my piece um, for this today. Uh, like I said, I think they did a good job overall with the movie. Um, do you feel a little bit more excited to watch the next one? I do. Because I do. Like, Goldeneye, um, I was like, eh. I saw that. I was kind of dreading this one, honestly, a little bit. Yeah, because same. I didn't know what to expect. Dude, same. That's so crazy. Because I remember loving these Bonds when I was younger. But, again, like I said... When you watch it as an adult, you're just able to, like, analyze it to, like, even if you're not trying, you just recognize things. And it's just like, ah. And it's things kids don't care about. Yeah. So, but I'm excited for the next one. I am, too. Like, I'm actually, Um, like, looking forward to sitting down and watching it and seeing what they do with it. Um, The next one is not the one with Holly Berry, correct? uh, The World is Not Enough has... No. Yeah, I'm gonna say that one came out. I think in like 2000, 2001. Yeah, so we're getting there. Um. Yeah, because this one came out in '99. Because uh, they come out like every two or three years. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's got Stephanie Marco. Oh, I'm guessing that's a French name. I actually kind of remember Marco. that dude. Marco. Okay, okay. I actually kind of remember that movie. It's good. That's. It's good. We're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna like this one. Yeah. I think. Twelve year old me is saying we're gonna like this one, right? <laughs> gotcha. Alright. <laughs> we need to ask Steve about me. Like I wanna know what his favorite movie is. We'll have him on special guest one of these days. See, I know my dad's is Jaws. And it's just because he has a poster of it hanging he has like one of the official posters they had in theaters. Wow. Hanging up downstairs cool. at his house. And then he also named his dog after the dog that gets eaten in Jaws. Yeah. So, pretty. Yeah, he's a big Jaws fan. Um, which is funny because I think Jaws is kind of. <laughs> that movie was trash. Like remember remember when we watched it in Florida? And I'll be honest with you, when I was growing up, because it's one of the movies he had me watch. Yeah. Like Bond movies and the Batman movies and whatever. 
I thought it was awesome. But now when you watch it, you can see the budget. You can see the cheesiness in the writing. Uh, now, my dad's favorite character is Quinn. He's my favorite character as well. He's the one that does the nails on the chalkboard. Yeah. He's cool. He's that salty old guy that can get the shark in the, you know. But otherwise, that movie's... But a lot of these movies, like, in that time period, they were excellent. And we're watching them with the movies that we've, one, you know, grown up with. Yeah. And even then, it's changed to what we're used to watching present. We're day. going to IMAX, and we're getting thrown into freaking Avatar in 5D, right. you know, where James Cameron is literally just, like, teabagging us in the face right. with his $4 billion budget and VFX. That's what we're used to now. Yeah. So... Go from that to watching a movie that was made in 1995. It's like, okay. It's hard. And that's one (laughs) thing that, at least with myself, and I I can feel pretty confident to say I speak for you three, is that's something that we keep in mind, or at least try to keep in mind while we're watching it, is it's a different time period and it's, you know, different style of filming, different everything, you know, blood from what, and we've said this in the past, blood was never a big deal back then, but it's a big deal now because we're aware like that, that is usually what makes a movie seem a lot more realistic versus uh, versus then where, you know, nobody cared about that kind of stuff. They only cared about the storyline itself. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just a different time period. Uh, like I said earlier in this podcast, you know, if we were to watch, you know, some of these movies back then, our views of the movie and our um, discussion would be, you know, 100% different. Or it could be a hundred percent different versus. You so, know, I mean, what time, we're time and place can really change your perspective 100%. on these movies. And yeah, I mean, if we could just go back and watch this movie in theaters when it came out, without the knowledge of what we've seen since yeah. then, we'd probably be blown we'd away. We'd be saying that it's the best movie ever. You know, everything looks so real, so legit. Just, it's just funny. That's how movies work, though. You know. But I remember playing, you know, uh, Madden on playstation 2 when those games came out where i thought the graphics there were iconic yes and now i go back and i see you know uh clips and stuff of you know madden or you know even star wars games back in the day that i'd play and i'm like (laughs) that is trash compared to what we're used to today where it looks like real people i remember uh you know you play grand theft auto 5 now yep okay I grew up playing Grand Theft Auto games from uh, Grand Theft Auto 3 and on. Grand Theft Auto 3 at the time was mind-blowing. I actually got the combo pack with it in Vice City. I played those religiously on the PlayStation 2. Loved them. I thought they were top tier. And then San Andreas came out, and I was like, whoa, dude. I was trying to play uh, Grand Theft Auto 3 like a month ago. Yeah. I put it on my PS2. I was like, eh, get some nostalgia going. I couldn't even play it. I couldn't play it. It was so bad. I was like, what is going on? Right. So, yeah, it's it's crazy how, like, even within your own brain, your perspective of this thing can change. There are these uh, movie-like things that mom would have me watch. It's, like, called Bible Man or whatever. Uh, I remember watching them. Bible Man? Bible Man. He, he was, like, a superhero, but... Use the armor of God and all that other stuff. Jesus which, isn't enough. Sorry, yeah, sorry. I, which I digress. Boink, don't cancel me. Um, <laughs> but I remember watching them and thinking like, oh, this is so cool. You know, it's kind of like Star Wars because they had like yellow sword like things and stuff. It wasn't glowing like Star Wars, but like, wow, it was like on that level as a kid. Like I was young, young. 
Like, I was less than probably nine years old at the time. Right. And then I tried to watch it a few years ago just for the nostalgic. Like, okay, it wasn't really as good. And I couldn't get through 10 minutes without laughing my ass off. I was like, oh, my God, but this whole thing is just cringy. And I will say, though, like, for you, mm. as someone who grew up in a religious environment right. and you weren't, you know, privy to the things that kids like me, because, you know, I grew up watching Beavis and Butthead. Right. And playing a game where I could go shoot people if right. I had a bad day at second grade. I had grade. to play <laughs> so, E-rated games. Yeah, so I'm sure for you that was really freaking cool. Right. And it's actually cool that they, whoever made that, yeah. thought to do that. Right. You know, because when I was going to Sunday school and stuff and going to church camp, yeah. I was like, eh. Like, can we go play Akon again? You know, like, can we do something that yeah. doesn't involve oh, I'll reading? show you an image that we're recording and stuff. So that's kind of like what it looked not that but like that so like it was kind of a cool concept i'll make sure to bring this up for them to see if they're not aware um he does have a lightsaber right like so like it was a cool concept and it wasn't <laughs> just him wild. Dima, um, this is wild i did not know this like was a thing. it was a group of them i remember this one that dude freaked me out a little bit so wait does he have movies yeah they're like movies and stuff and like There's he had cartoon. like a green one and stuff i didn't know about the cartoons at the time like it was just like this but it was like really cool stuff at the time period. And now that, you know, as of a few years ago when I watched again, I was like, oh, that that's like cringy. Yeah, and yeah. It doesn't even look real. This one was real good, too, um, at that point in time. But like they kind of did it and it, they were, uh, you know, sort of in like the. Uh, it was like almost a live audience, but it's like a movie at the same time kind of deal. Oh, OK. And like. For, oh, that's a perfect example there. Does he, does he break the fourth wall? Uh, that actually looks cool. Kind of, sort of. Like, but it was like really cool stuff back then. But now oh. watching it, it's like, you know, oh, that's trash. That's like, I loved Power Rangers. Yeah, that, that was the actor and, there. And, uh, oh, wow. But. I, I, see, but I'm telling you, like, looking at the photos and stuff, yeah. production quality, even with the costumes, it's reminding right. me of Power Rangers. Which exactly. I'm a huge Power Rangers fan. Yeah. Grew up watching them. Yep. Same. I went back to watch the series uh, a couple years ago. It was on Netflix. I was like, oh my Crap. God, man. But when you're younger and you get introduced to something like that, it's just like, dude, this is so cool. Right. So I'm not judging you. No, but I, I mean, think it's cool that that exists, power. though. Like, And like you said, like coming from, you know, it, it was a very smart move on those people's part for, like you said, people who, like me who grew up more in the religious. When you're and young, and I'm speaking that. from experience, it's hard to get a kid to be into religion. Yeah. It really is. And I, sometimes they just have a natural curiosity about it. I did not. My sister did not. Yeah. We needed stimuli yeah. to be interested. We needed the egg hunts. We needed or scavenger hunts, I should call them. We needed that. We needed right. the coloring books. We needed the movies. We, yeah. we couldn't just sit and read and talk about it. Right. Like it, it was boring to us. And yeah, we didn't have a religious upbringing, but we had religious people in our family that really thought it was important for us to go right. and decide for ourselves. Right. I'm glad. Right. I'm glad we did it. But still, when you're a kid, you need that. Exactly. So that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I probably would have been a little bit more into it for a little bit longer yeah. if I had been. But I mean, I bring all that up because like the time period, you know, back to what we were saying, where like you'll see you'll watch something or play something from you know growing up as a kid and then you go back to it years later and just the difference in opinion of it yeah you know yeah. Uh, the whole like religious side aspect of part of it but like the production the acting and all that like you can just tell is like 
wow, that's bad. And I said that to dad because he was in the house when I was watching it. And I was like, this is rough. And he goes, yeah, now you know how I felt when you're watching them all the time. <laughs> Poor Steve. But, um, no, like, it's just, you know, times change your opinion on things. We could be watching Zack Snyder's Justice League you know, 40 years down the road and be like, oh, wow, the CGI stuff is trash. See, that sounds so ridiculous to say, but you're right. Exactly. You're right. Like, it, it, you know, we watch it now and we're like, do that. I mean, the C, and my honest opinion, the CGI is phenomenal. The acting is, but everything about it is like perfection with the way it was made and the acting and everything else, the writing, yeah. all of it. But if I look into the future 40 years down the road and we're used to stuff at that point in time, we could be thinking like, Oh, like that's a little rough. Well, just you know, we can do what you know people in the '90s or '80s used to do when it came to movie production or anything in life. We can sit here and think of what's possible that they haven't done yet. Right. They can maybe 3D print a fully animatronic alien. So, like Zack Snyder's Justice League, for example, they could actually produce a Steppenwolf. Like he physically exists and can speak and move. How? they want him to for scenes in the exactly. movie. So instead of being, you know, uh, generated by a computer yeah. on screen, he's actually there in front of the camera. He's creating shadows. He can interact with things. That could be the next step. Yeah. You know? I mean, Hollywood's already starting to do that with Disney. Um, in The Mandalorian, that big, gigantic screen of the background there, that way it's not just a green or blue screen where the actors have to be told, like, yeah, you need to look about here at that X or that dot, yeah. and then over here is what that's kind of going to be like, so I need you to do this. And that. the screen, the background's there in live view. Yeah. You know? So, um... Which it does have limitations, but they'll they'll get around that. It does. They will get around now. that, yeah. But, you know, they're already being able to see the background, so, like, if they're, like, if there's a ship that's flying and, um... By the way, that's called the volume for people who don't know what we're referencing. Volume, thank you. Highly recommend looking at videos of it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It is a game changer for filming. It is. It is definitely a very futuristic thing that we're getting to experience now. But all Pedro Pascal has to do is look behind him and look at the ship and just follow it without... And, it, and it's projecting the light. Exactly. The spectrum, you know, the colors, the reflections are being created. Exactly. It's skipping all those steps. So we're already that's seeing... That's a good example. That's, you know... Because yeah. with green screen, as we know, you got to create the light. you yeah. got to create these things that'll be seen later when yeah. you add it to the green you screen. You kind of have to guesstimate on, like, where about it's going to be put. Yep. You have to kind of guesstimate, like, yeah, we're going to... You know, it's going to come here, and we're going to move the ship or the plane or whatever this way or the car this way, and you have to follow it. But you can't be too fast, you can't be too slow, and if you yeah. are, then you have to try it again and take different shots of it, and then kind of splice it all together. And Like, I... imagine Avengers Endgame, and I love this joke just because the Russo brothers have talked about this. Thanos, in the green screen yeah. set, was a, was a tennis ball. Yeah. Okay? They had a tennis ball for the actors to look at. Imagine Thanos is on a screen, they can just look at Thanos. Exactly. Boom. Or with the future tech that I'm talking about, they just create a Thanos. Exactly. <laughs> but, I don't know. Yeah, so it's going to be crazy to see where things get to. If there is a day in my lifetime that I can look back at Zack Snyder's Justice League and think, ew, that's going to be insane because there's Marvel movies with budgets fucking five times bigger than what Zack had to finish that film. 
that look way worse. Yes. The, the CGI in that movie is so freaking impressive, it man. It looks I, real. It makes me wonder what they could accomplish if he did get to finish his films with, with that crew. Which, by the way, same guys that are doing the Flash movie. Just saying. Same same VFX, uh, VFX artists. So... Uh, everyone's like hating on the trailers for that but i'll tell you what man i think the flash in theaters is gonna be amazing i i i can't freaking wait before we wrap it up um i'm gonna have a little advertisement thing i make for this and you actually don't know about this it's first i'm gonna tell you about it we have merchandise oh wow oh yeah hell's yeah we got t-shirts uh a mug stickers um some other stuff i'm working on but yeah we have that stuff established in a store there is a link that i will actually provide on the bottom of this video and every video going forward you can go there buy our merch uh help support us a little bit that'd be cool because we got a lot of things we're trying to do and we broke no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> but seriously any little bit helps and if anything we just appreciate that you're such a big fan of us and you'll possibly inspire other people to check us out by walking around with our gear on so yeah we, we got merchandise now hells yeah i'm i'll have to check that out yeah i'm, I'm, excited. Ex- I'm excited to show you here i'll show you uh i'll show you the shirt the first shirt i made um i guess i can give people a little little peek yeah so that's our i'm calling this uh our store is called stonecraft i thought that was pretty cool Oh, wow. Yep. Mm. Yeah, so we have uh, standard T-shirts. We've got the the, the tri-blend, you know, the comfort tees. They're premium. They're a little, a couple more dollars, but worth it, if you ask me. Very comfortable T-shirts. And then we've got uh, ladies' tees, and we've got uh, tank tops. I like it. And we got mugs, stickers. But yeah, we got merchandise, and there's some other stuff. Uh, we got a shirt with one of our cartoon characters on it. We got some shirts with uh, funny things that we say, like buttering popcorn and. Butter. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we got merchandise now. Pretty cool. I'm excited about that. Yeah. So um, yeah. There's that, and I promise this will be the last time you have to watch me awkwardly try to talk about it and geek out about it. I'll make a nice professional little thing that we can show you guys, and not show you a glowing phone screen. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways yeah so we got merch um i kind of want to do something for bond tuesdays if people really like this yep. we'll see uh yeah anyways all right guys well i guess we'll go ahead and wrap this up we won't take too much of your time this week as we've already got it <laughs> i was a football i don't player. know if that was worse than mine or not but it was so much more like drawn out. Like if if Zack Snyder filmed that, he would be like, "All right, Dima, and throw." And then like from here, <laughs> it just would have been in the most like HD slow mo, like where Barry Allen can fly around and like lick chocolate out of the inside of the wrapper before it epically doesn't even reach the trash can and lands <laughs> on the floor. Ugh. You guys, let me here. I'll give you guys a little peek behind the curtain. Why not? This is our freaking show. I don't, think I don't think anyone else on YouTube's doing this shit. I can't see where I'm... Alright, there's Dima. 
this is where our fat asses sit and eat candy and, and start losing. Look at this. Look at this. This is my can I threw, right? Here's what I did. There's the trash can, right? Here's a light fixture. I did this, right? Well, that was actually better than what I did. It bounced off that and landed down here. That's why we were laughing so hard earlier. So, yeah. Anyways. I feel like I just broke YouTube walls. Like, I just, <laughs> I, like, extremely broke the fourth wall. Went to, like, the sixth wall, eighth wall. <laughs> to where, like, well, now, like, other YouTubers are going to, like, be experiencing malfunctions on their end. Like, this, like... <laughs> proverbial like fourth wall that just exists for youtubers right. in general like we already talked to you guys but now i just picked you up and threw you around a little bit every episode where we're launching stuff we're aiming for that trash can and nine times out of seven we miss it so that, that's where we're at and i've made comments about how we need to get a backboard for it but honestly i'm pretty sure it could be up against a giant wall that completely cuts off this side of this room it would not even hit the wall. It nope. would probably do what Dima just did. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Back to my uh, outro. <clears throat> Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, this has been another episode of 007 Tuesdays. <laughs> um, hopefully you enjoyed this coverage. And next week we're going to be covering... Super slow-mo point. The world is not enough. The world is not enough. And I am more excited for that one than I was for Smart Never Dies. So we're making progress. But anyways, uh, thank you guys for watching. As always, subscribe, follow us, do all that stuff. Hit the thumb on hand, whether it's up or down. We don't care. We're just here to have fun until we inevitably get canceled. It's definitely going to happen. Uh, but yeah, seriously, thank you guys. And check that link for the merch down below. Really appreciate it. But uh, yeah, until next time. Bye.